Uh, this is Eric Donovan, artist of Constantine, Mimetic, Cognetic, and Big Trouble, Little China, variant artist. I'm listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Very sweet. Was it? Yeah. Not Why? salty. No, you don't believe me. Lowry, Mike Lowry. Oh, well, on my end, it sounded like might it's Mike. So I'm just um, wasn't that bad. Okay. Sunday, bloody Sunday. Aw. <laughs> Who's the intro tonight? Shakespeare's sister? No. Got some four non-blondes. What we got? No. Rosetta Junior. That was last week. Nice. We got some ministry this week. They probably won't be able to hear it. Should have got an intro from uh, from Renegade. Oh yeah, the winery. Yeah. Would be nice. Hi, I'm. Dude, talk about small. Blah, 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 blah. We're not buying your wine. Yeah. <laughs> talk about small world. We're at the dinner last weekend with uh, another couple, and we're chit chatting about. My little, uh, our little trip to, uh, to Frazetta. Turns out the wife of the other couple is going to Renegade this coming weekend. Look at that. Small for Because her brother is getting remarried, and her brother's soon-to-be wife, so I guess her future sister-in-law, is from that area. And I guess they're doing some kind of like, you know, little bachelorette jammy jam type of thing. So I felt bad because I was within milliseconds of shredding the place. Ah. Uh. And then she's like, oh, we're going there next in like two weeks. So I totally had to like 90 degree it <laughs> and be like, oh, it's a really great looking place. It's like set up really well. It's got a cool vibe. <laughs> and when so she listens to this, your cover is oh, yeah. blown. <laughs> yeah, because she's a regular EOC listener. I disagree with you on that Batman SS. <laughs> Whatever. Oi. We are. Thankfully. Right? Thankfully. Thanks, Mother Nature, you fucking bitch. Snowpocalypse. Hey, everybody. It's that time again. It's 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 528. And I'm Vince B. Ooh. It's been so long since I heard your voice. You are Vince B. And I am David A. Price. Indeed you are. And I'm the other half, because I'm Keegan-Michael Key. Aww. <laughs> You're not a half of anything. You're unique. You're Jason Wood. I'm more of a third of a power of a power trio, I guess. We're Rush. We we are the Rush of of comic book podcasting, but that's not a bad thing to be. Cool. I don't want to be Getty. No. No, I don't. I don't. No. That, that's a member of Rush, I assume. Oh please. Oh god. I think you should reach into your wallet and pull out that geek cred card and just throw it out the window. Wait. You, you need. Wait. Wait. Liking Rush is geek cred? Yes. You don't know any members of Rush? I couldn't tell you the first thing about Rush. Neil Peart's... Except that they're from Canada, maybe? Didn't know that either. Oh, okay. my goodness. Jay, uh, David, what do you say we just wrapped this up this week? <laughs> and I'm Getty Lee. There and I'm go. Alex <laughs> Leifson. Hello. Bye to our snow dog. I'm still not dog. sure what the geek cred has to do with it. What does a... There, because a, Rush... A hairband have to do with geek cred? I, first of all, <laughs> Rush is not a hairband. That's true. Oh, my God. It just... The hits keep coming. Kill me. Freaking... Just kill me. I'm moving on. I, it's too painful. Oh, well, wait a minute. 
I'm gonna look up a picture of them. Let me see if there's any hair band going on here. Well, I mean, there's, there's a mullet. Not. They're back in the day. Oh, dude. They don't. They're Straight not. Up hair. They no, are but not. It's not. No, hair band is poison. Hair band is rat Cinderella. Those are hair bands. Yes. I think our our just our. <laughs> I think our line for what we consider a hairband is vastly different. And Rush is well, nowhere there's, near there's it. Well, there's what is an actual hairband, and there's what you make it up. So, I, there's, yeah, I guess that is a bit different. These guys are three milliseconds away from being Slayer. <laughs> the Slayer's not a hairband either. I mean, I mean, they're not a striper. hairband either? No. No, Striper is, but I don't. All right, Slayer well. is thrash metal. All right. Oy. They're all the same. It's like they have hair, so they're hair bits. They're but not. They're not. Hair bit. They're all they're white. All the they're all white, long-haired <laughs> dudes who made music back. Bruno Mars day. hair bit. One last <laughs> time for the masses: you don't have to be uh, horribly uneducated in your rock and roll history to get cheap comics and bric-a-brac from the previews catalog. All you need to do is go to Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get everything. In that thick ass catalog for a mere fraction of the retail price, such as Big Deal Number One, Amazing Spider Man Number Eight Hundred, One Hundred Pages, the uh, Dan Slot takes his bow with uh, Go Down Swinging, nine ninety nine cover price, which is really not all that bad for a hundred page comic these days. But because you are in the know. You can get it for four dollars and ninety nine cents. It's amazing, is it not? It is. It is. And the other side of the street, our buddies at DC are serving up DC Nation number zero, which will have a bunch of stories that will appear only in this comic book and will not be reprinted in another comic book. Okay, before each series collected editions, only the first printing of this issue will have a cover price of twenty five cents. This issue was shipped with four covers and uh, just in time for free comic book day. This special comic priced at just a quarter features three brand new stories from a lineup of superstar talent. And each tale serves as a prelude to some of the biggest DC events of 2018. You got some Batman uh, with Tom King and Clay Mann. Looks like you got uh, Scott Snyder. Jorge Jimenez, James Tenney in the fourth, Joshua Williamson for the prelude of Justice League, No Justice, and Brian Michael Bendis with Jose Luis Garcia Lopez on Man Man of Steel. That's crazy. And because you know a lot of things, most notably how to get your books cheaper than everybody else, you're going to get this for 12 cents at dcbservice.com. Lastly, my man, swinging from trees, Lord of the Jungle, Tarzan, meets up with Red Sonia, and it's written by Gail Simone. With art by Walter Giovanni, the first issue of this thing is a three ninety nine standard issue cover price at Dynamite, but you, Mr. Poindexter, $1.99. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions, and you get your books all shipped right up and safe and secure, unless your kids leave them out in the rain, to your door. Mm. It, nothing better. Absolutely nothing better. DCBService.com. Go. Nice. I'm with it. You with it? You down speaking with of, it? S- s- speaking of go, it. what you drinking, Vince? I am drinking the wine that shall not and cannot be named because I, I don't know where it's from. Lucille Ball wine? Yeah. 
Lucille Ball wine. It's a Desilu of wines. There you go. I have. Look, see, I'm looking at the jug there, now. Stopping the grapes. There's only half a jug left. So half oh, a jug. so you'll have that finished yeah, in, 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 in a half hour. I'm okay. pouring that, that half a jug right now. It's like Saturday. What night. you drinking, Jason? I am drinking Corona Light. Each. It was that or seltzer, buddy. I'm not disparaging your choice of uh, libation. I just said each. Whatever. You drink what you want. Whatever. Like I can't oh, make it into anything more than you already are. You've just proven that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this um, this is a shout out and a thank you and um, well, huge, massive, Womba thanks to our pal Caleb. Alexander McKenzie, this, um, I received a package, uh, the other day and in it were two bottles of wine that I have never <laughs> seen nor tried before. And I haven't opened either of them yet because a, they arrived Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, Thursday before we recorded. Uh, so they were outside all day, so they were chilled and I'm not down with drinking chilled red wine and i wanted us all to be together as much as i love daniel and mario and zach i wanted to crack this open Aww. when the three of us were together uh so this is called augment and of course it's aged in bourbon barrels mm. it is a cabernet sauvignon mm. from california uh we've brought back the old technique of aging wine in bourbon barrels a common practice decades ago through this cabernet sauvignon with the purpose of augmenting in quotes or increasing the taste and aromas of this great California wine. The aging process delivers attractive vanilla notes with hints of black cherries and gentle spiciness. Expect a rich Cabernet Sauvignon to enjoy with red meat, pork, lamb, or burgers, especially cooked on the grill. I am not having any of those tonight. I had salmon, and I have not... um, I haven't tasted this yet, so you will hear me sip it shortly and, and... You'll find out if I love it or not. The other bottle I will save for another episode. So thank you so very much, Caleb. I really, really appreciate it. Why don't you uh, slack me the information on that bottle later on? Because I think I want to get that. You got it. Thank you. It smells amazing. So do you. I do. (laughs) I've been able to shower for my third time today. There you go. Well, it is the weekend. He showers more during the week. Exactly. You know, yeah, I got it. You know, every, every, oh, it's 15 minutes. All right, let me hop in. (laughs) Seriously. It's like you have uh-huh. a layer of slime that you have to watch up. Uh, <clears throat> SLUG, Jason, what are you drinking? Oh, we know what you're drinking. I already yeah. talked about it. I already talked about it. Okay. I rambled on for so long, we're back to the drinking. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So, Jason, it's good to have you back. We missed Thank you, you. Vince. We missed mm-hmm. you last episode. I mean, we had some funs. We sure did. Oh, no doubt. You had a, you had a trifecta of, of badasses yeah. in my stead. But it's, you know, it's always nice to go home. Who knew that Mario was, was he really is a man of many talents. Improv, comedian, singer, reality TV show. Yep. None of which he brings uh, to this. To any episode no, but, but this week unveiled he's a, a high-end vegetarian caterer. Who knew that? When did this happen? He catered, catered friend's his friend's friend? wedding, and it looked yeah. freaking phenomenal. It really did. That doesn't surprise me. Right. No, I mean, he's definitely a foodie, but still, yeah, I, I was, yeah. I mean, wow. It was uh, It was probably the most visually appealing vegetarian um, 
like meal I've ever seen. No, I mean like in terms of all the different courses. Speaking for someone just... who was a vegetarian for a week and a half. So. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know what's up. Believe me. It's a hard road. <laughs> oh, hard traveling heroes. <laughs> green, green Lantern, Green Arrow, and Woodrow. Oh, Lord. <laughs> that would be some crazy ass talk to be a fly on that wall. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. So let's go into the comics here. What y'all got? Jason, I well, think you should go first because oh, unless you wanted to. Exactly what I was thinking. No, I'm yeah, saying no. I haven't heard from him, so he absolutely has the floor. Yeah, first. it was a, it was a, it was a kick in the nuts to not be able to uh, partake on Thursday because the snow of the last two weeks had of and the subsequent uh, power outages um, had availed had given me time to to read a ton. Um, so I mean I've probably read more comics in the last two weeks than I've read in any two week span in years. I, I don't I don't remember the last time I had the chance to sit down and read this much. Um, but um, I, I thought that uh, in spite of everything that I've read across the gamut from Marvel DC to Image to to uh, other good stuff, I, I really thought that um, the take away from my last two weeks were the uh, graphic novels that I read, uh, and there were many. And so I'm going to hit you up with a couple of those, um, and I'm going to I'm going to start with one that uh, that I don't know. It's it'll be interesting to see whether this is something that'd be up either of your alleys, but um, but it was one of the books that I had purchased um, in hopes of of reading it last year because it would have helped fill in um, some, some blank spots on the O'Closkers last year, more than ever. I think we all struggled with uh, nonfiction as a, as a category. Um, we really pretty much didn't have anything between us to, to talk about. That's very true. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and to be fair, I think I'm, I'm more apt to read nonfiction comics each year, at least a That's few fair. than you guys. Yep. Um, but yeah, I didn't have anything. So, so this was one that certainly would have, um, been worthy of consideration Then I just didn't get around to it, even though I owned it. And that was, um, hostage by Guy Delisle. Um, so for those that aren't familiar with Guy, he has put out a ton of, of, um, graphic novels. I think mostly, if not always through drawn and quarterly as is this book. Um, but um, his his prior books have been um, named for the places where they take place, like Pyongyang, Jerusalem, um, and essentially they were looks into his personal experiences in those places because his wife is a doctor for Doctors Without Borders, and so he and his his family have traveled with her all over the world while she does the humanitarian stuff, and he has. Uh, he has made a bunch of books about his experiences and his family's experiences. Um, and I've read, uh, I read Jerusalem, my own Pyongyang. I haven't read it. Um, and it was good. It was good. Um, but this is a bit of a departure. This, uh, is, it, it's called hostage because through his relationships with doctors without borders, um, he ended up meeting up with, uh, Dr. Christophe Andre, who was also a, uh, worked with with doc, uh, worked with doctors uh, without borders uh, in a like a more of a, a managerial capacity. And in 1997, Andre was kidnapped from the headquarters um, and was a hostage in, Ch- in Chechnya 
for um, nearly a year. A true story. This actually, you know, 1997, this all actually happened. So um, Andre ended up sitting down with Delisle and uh, telling his, his story to him verbatim. And Delisle turned it into a 430-page graphic novel of the account. Uh, so uh, it's it's essentially it, the book picks up on the night that uh, that Andre is is kidnapped, and it uh, goes all the way through the process until the uh, spoilers, but until he is released successfully released and returned home. Um, yeah, it's four hundred thirty two pages, and uh, um, it's it's a fascinating account. Um, the for four hundred thirty pages, I think the mas the, the mastery of this book is that, and Vince, you know, you could maybe speak to this as the person who's most definitively the artist among us, certainly. Um, this is basically a story about nothing happening for most of it. And, like, that's the power of the story. The, the Andre is essentially, for the bulk of his kidnapping, in a locked room with a mattress and a radiator um, and nothing else, uh, save for very periodic... Uh, changes of venue, whether it be going to the bathroom to wash up every two weeks or um, occasionally uh, one of his kidnappers would come in and offer him a cigarette or a, a drink of champagne. Um, but, but essentially it's, it's, it's the mundane. It's, it's the monotony of being in this uh, unending, uh, you know, nothingness for months upon months. And, you know, that's a, a challenging thing to make provocative, in a long form, uh, you know, graphic novel where you're really earning your keep, so to speak with the visuals, you know what I mean? Right. So I got to give Delisle tremendous credit because I got to tell you, I read this 400 plus book page book in, I, I mean, I don't know, two, two hours, an hour and a half, two hours. I mean, I couldn't put it down. I, I sat down and read it and, and, and didn't get up from the seat until it was finished. Um, and it's, it's so powerful in its simplicity. Now for those that don't know Delisle's work, uh, he has a relatively simplistic style. Um, you know, he's he's not a groundbreaking jaw on the floor uh, illustrator. Uh, the, the 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 characters are are you know they're not stick figures by any stretch, but but they're they're simplistically drawn. Um, and, and certainly because of the story, the the, the backgrounds by ne- almost by necessity are, are bare. Um, it's it's largely for the most part six panel grids. Uh, although five or six, depending, but, but not a lot of, he's not doing a lot visually, uh, in terms of the, the craft to blow your mind. I mean, this isn't a book. There's another book I hopefully have time to talk about later, which is just the opposite where the, the visuals are just, uh, the visuals alone, regardless of what you think of the story, make it a must own. Um, but this is just a very effective look into what is a truly unique experience of this guy having been kidnapped. And the thing I found fascinating about it is that I didn't know anything about this, this, this real life incident. Um, but what I find fascinating is that Delisle captures the normalcy of the event. You know, this wasn't a situation where he was kidnapped, say, by uh, Muslims, terrorists that were trying to use him for for you know political exchange of others, or for uh, he wasn't he wasn't tortured. He he was he wasn't horribly mistreated like a prisoner of war. He wasn't interrogated. Uh, he was kidnapped for a very specific purpose, which I won't get into, but in essence was was locked up in someone's apartment in Chechnya and relatively as much as someone that's kidnapped can be well treated. Um, yes, he was 
he was held in a room, um, but they he was well fed. Um, people were polite to him. Uh, they didn't mistreat him anytime he had a need for something. They 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 catered to it. Uh, they basically left him alone. Um, and then the interactions were by necessity, but when they did interact with him, it was never, he didn't fear for his life really for the majority of, of his, of his time. Um, which is a remarkable thing because I think when we all think about kidnappings, especially in, in develop developing nations, you know, you think of it as a harrowing thing where they're lucky to get, a, they're, they're lucky to be alive and it every day is a, a, a could be their, their last. And, and this was, was just the opposite. It was so carefully depicted to be, just mundane and, 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 and that being the hardest thing to handle because he didn't know why he was there. You know, at first he's there for a day or two, he's figuring it's a kidnapping for money that they're going to, and, and, and there was money involved. Um, but, but it just, it never got to the point where it was, give us the money or we're going to kill the guy or, or we want these favors back in return. It just was, he was, um, just a, an unfortunate pawn in a, a very commonplace occurrence in that part of the world. Um, and it ended in a very mundane way. Essentially, he 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 got free, and I'll, I'll leave the details of how he gets free to those that want to read the book. But he gets free, and he goes home and and lives a normal life beyond that. And and you know so much so that he gets to articulate his memories in a memoir to Delisle, who turned it into this. And um, I don't know if if it's it's probably hard to I don't know if I'm conveying how much I enjoyed it in the sense that it's it's a it's an unusual experience for a graphic novel. Um, and I do think that the the brilliance of it is that it is relatively um, not, I don't want to say boring because that's such a, that's a pejorative uh, that it's so calm. That's what it is. It's calm for if, if I were to tell you, Hey, here's a book called hostage about a kidnapping in Chechnya from the nineties. You would probably think like your first vision would go to uh, the movie taken or something like, Oh, when's the hero going to come in or when seal team six is going to come and rescue the guy. It's just a calm experience. Like for what it was, which would arguably be the most harrowing, frightening experience of most people's lives. It was an extremely calm occurrence, and Delisle captures that. And the thing that about it is, it kind of reminded me in its own way of, uh, a little bit like with the beat writers. Um, Vince, like you, I know you're a big fan of the beats. Like one of the things I always loved about uh, Kerouac mm-hmm. is the way that he could turn the most mundane thing into such a powerful experience. You know, like, like I mean, I visually remember in Dharma Bums, like, when he was essentially starving himself, and he would talk with such passion about the preparation of a type of bean, right, or a mm-hmm. can of, you know, grains. And because there was such, such because the book was so spartan in, in the details of the human experience, he could make that, which would otherwise be so boring and nondescript, into something that you never forget as you read it. Sure. And that's what Delisle does here. The, the the moments of this of of Andre's kidnapping that are different feel so powerful because he expresses to you how rare they were and how calm and boring most most of his days were. He just sat in the room and waited for his two meals, and no one talked to him. And then he'd try and get comfortable falling asleep with one hand chained to the radiator. So and every day would be like that. And then every now and then again, like he got a chance to sit and watch soccer with them one night, or one time they came in and offered him shots of vodka to do with them. But that would happen every couple of weeks for no explanation because he didn't speak Chechnya and they didn't speak English. He, he would, or one time he caught a glimpse of of one of the kidnappers, presumably children who lived in the house, um, or a, a, a house cleaner came in, whether it be the guy's wife or whoever came in and cleaned up and gave him like a little smile. And it was those, those moments that that were so unusual pop 
and they probably and they popped for him and they were his tethers to not going insane during this period that that he he just longed for those moments of of break from the monotony of his everyday um and it's probably not dissimilar to anyone that's say imprisoned right where every day is the same essentially except for those rare moments when they're not and so i got to give Lyle credit because he does something with the medium um that i think is very difficult to do but maybe lost if you just were to flip through the book, you might not really get it unless you dive in and immerse yourself in the entirety of it. So this is definitely a book where I would say the the sum of all of the pages visually are far greater than what you might take away from any individual constituent panel, if you follow. So, yeah, huge thumbs up. I wish I had read this last year. It certainly would have been more than worthy as the selection for best nonfiction book of 2017. But uh, I definitely, if you're into nonfiction, uh, I highly recommend this. Again, it's called Hostage, Guide to Lyle, Drawn in Quarterly. And, uh, yeah, it was a really, really, really great experience. I have to agree with you. Okay. Where you say that uh, you alluded to that's not probably not my bag, and I yeah I, yeah, yeah I'm guessing you're right. I that does not sound like anything I would want to read. I mean the mm-hmm. way you present it, it sounds very enticing, but once I get in, and I I uh, I looked at some of the pages here, I, I I like the style, but I think the subject matter would would probably leave me a little cold. Yeah, I, I, I well, like I said, listen, we know each other all pretty well at this point. Um, I'm not one which, for subtlety. Uh, which is not to dig up uh, old wounds, but it's why I was so shocked about your views on Next Wave, because I feel like I've, I have a pretty good read on what you each will like or dislike before right. before we talk about it. And generally, I think we all have a pretty good hit rate with each other about what we're going to uh, like and not like. And I'm not sure this is a book that would grab either one of you particularly, just because I can't think of many books like this that I've heard you ever all talk about, uh, at least uh, that, that leaves a memory. So, um, yeah, this this maybe not not your your two cup of tea, but uh, right. But I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that uh, that do like this kind of thing. And if it if this if this is in your your uh, concentric circle of comics interest, then uh, it's certainly a worthy a worthy addition to that that yeah. realm. Yeah. I think, um, well, particularly the Last Jedi, but there were some movies last year that I think really kind of opened our eyes to what each of us may or may not groove to. Yes. I would also agree with that. But normally, yes, I think we all do. I think we're all pretty capable of pinpointing or honing in on uh, what honing in on something that each of us will like. But yeah, I mean, there, there are times where we'll go to the Slack and someone will say, Oh, well, Jason is going to hate this. Vince is going to love it when it's actually mm-hmm. the reverse. So yeah, but yeah, I, which I, you know, I, I do, I love that that we do know each other well enough where we have a ninety eight percent chance of getting it right, but there's still yes. something there that might just be, oh well, all right, that's because it's man. If if we all knew everything that each of us were thinking, man, this would be pretty damn boring. No doubt. I'm yep. You yep. got to, I got some quick hits before we Do get it. Into Make it. it happen. Make it happen. All right. Did you guys read slots number five? Not yet. Mm, no. I read number All right. five. Was, was number five the last issue? No, I sorry. Have... All right, then. Uh, no, I, no I, uh, I have it right here, but no, I didn't read it yet. Yeah, same. I am through number four, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess the only thing I could say is that I did not know that this was a finite series. So it's not the end of an arc. It's the end of the series. Was it originally or just did it not do well? I don't know. But it, it's, it says, um, damn it, now I'm not going to be able to f- uh, keep sending it in. We'll put as much as we can next issue. That's in the text pages. Um, yeah, I got the impression that it's not an ongoing from something in this issue. Uh, we'll see you in March for a slightly exercise issue. And God damn it. Where's the line where it says, this is terrible, terrible radio. But um, I'm guessing that uh, I can't find it, but whatever. There's something that happens in in slots number five that made me kind of laugh out loud in horror. But Mm -hmm. it's it's there. Jason, you talked about verses, number one. No, I did. I did. You did. David did. Yes. Surprise, surprise. Did yeah. you did I thought it was Jason. Did you read it, Jason? No, I have not. I am batting friggin' a thousand here. You are Dude, bro. You know, I don't need to have read it. I don't even have no, it downloaded. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if well, I was that's all right, fine. Then screw it. I got something I can get into detail on <laughs> because I know neither of you are gonna read it. Okay. It is from Titan Comics. Written by Alesh Coat. We know this guy, right? Alesh, he's crazy. Um, (laughs) he is is. illustrated (laughs) by Peter Kowalski I really like Kowalski stuff a lot colors by Brad Simpson it is called Bloodborne number one I have the game it is uh, adapted well it's not adapted it it is the uh, the, there's a video game from which all this is either um extrapolated or interpreted uh, i can't really say because i have the game and i've never played it i got it mm-hmm. I, I got it for the christmas but as usual with mr uh coat it is a unique different take on video game uh tie-in comics because i've never read one done quite this way starts off you have uh um, a, a character we don't get to know his name yet. Character on the hunt, and there's a there's a Victorian Gothic slant to it. All of the buildings are very uh, Gothic and and ornate, and he he has a long long trench coat on, and he's got headgear, and you can't see most of you can only see his eyes, his his nose and down is wrapped, and he. He's got uh, the, uh, the, the big boots on and what looks like a musket, but it's not. And he has this, what I'm assuming is his, his signature weapon. It looks like a scythe. It has a long curved handle, but there's a hinge on the end of it. And there's this giant toothy blade on the end of the hinge that he can flip and flick and slash. And it, it is a, a, literally a monster weapon. So he, he, he's talking. We get like a, a monologue. And he's like, wait a minute. I've been here before. And he's running through um, the city streets and he's accosted by zombies. Um, there are mummy gargoyles on the side of the building. Like instead of the, the ornate uh, additions to 
architecture being, you know, gargoyles. They're they're mummies, and they're they're crouched, and their their tongues are hanging out. It's a really cool image. So he slashes the head off one of these zombies, and the head looks back at him, meaning mm-hmm. um, zombies can't be killed in this universe by decapitating them. There are werewolves going after him. There's monster dogs. There are werewolf mummies. Mm-hmm. That that's not something new. Warren did that back in the day, but I haven't seen it in quite a while. So it's it's a mummy werewolf, and he's going through, and he's like, I, I've seen this before. He's killing everything, everything that that uh, come he comes into contact with. He's killing them. So he gets to the steps of a church, and there are a bunch of guys dressed similarly to him, and they're all gray. Other skin is like soot gray and the the main character's skin is pinkish flesh i don't know why that's significant yet but i'm guessing it is so they're talking to him and they're like ye seek to escape the hunt you need to find the pale blood and they're not pirates but that's just as close as i'm gonna get <laughs> and and they they take ah here come the pale blood now <laughs> and they, they take him they take him to this back room, and there's this child, kind of like Leech. He looks kind of like Leech, but a little more mature, a little older than Leech. He's got a bald head, and it's all dimpled, and this kid's all gray, too. And and the the man's like, we have what you seek. And he's not, I don't want a child. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't need a child. And the the kid takes a finger... And scratches its own arm, and it bleeds white. Hmm. And he's like, you got to take this kid and get out of here if you want to escape the hunt. You need to escape the hunt. So he's just about to leave, and he tells the kid, stay put, because something's going on outside. He goes out, and all hell is breaking loose. There are monsters everywhere. And the the main character comes into contact with this gigantic rotten it's it's an abomination it's a huge creature fangs above and below its jaw it looks like it's wearing a a wig of meat um its rib cage and its midsection are exposed like it's barely there the guts are gone it's all hunched over and he's fighting it he's chopping at it and chopping and the thing gets him on the ropes and it vomits on his head and reduces his skin it it just dissolves all his skin so he the that that beautiful waistcoat that the guy was wearing now houses a skeleton and the kid looks right at the viewer or the reader and you can see the abomination in the kid's eyes and there's a panel at the bottom of the thing it says you died Mm. so you get to the next page i'm thinking okay that's the end of the issue but no gets to the next page and he he's in a courtyard with a another ashen skinned woman and an old man and they're like oh you're back guy's like what what's going on he's like i just want to go to sleep and she says you can't go to sleep on the night of the hunt you got to get back in there you got to find the pale blood so he's thrust back into the exact same narrative that he came from only he does it a little bit different this time instead of going out into the courtyard to fight the explosion of monsters he takes the kid and he leaves and then it says to be continued this was a cool issue. It's it it takes the template or the methodology of the video game. The guy actually respawns in the comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool, but like Jumanji. 
I don't know anything about that. The new oh, movie you're the, talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. He, I mean, he disappears, and then he pops up in this, this little setting with a gorgeous gothic house on the hill by kowalski there's step it looks like a little bit like a cross between the adams family house and the, the bates motel a little bit it, mm-hmm. it, you know um long long staircase going up and withered tree like everything in this reality is gray and until when the monsters pop up then everything turns red i like this a lot and it, you know i don't have a whole lot of time to play video games but i made I'm more likely to actually waste a couple hours now with this thing because this seems mm-hmm. like it's right in my wheelhouse. Werewolf mummies? There's the the main difference between Jason and myself. Jason, the minutia of captivity, the mundane, and the me, werewolf mummies. There you go. <laughs> I can't say it any better than that. But it's just beautifully illustrated by Kowalski. Um Titan, like I said, has been floating my boat big time. Yes, the, I would say the that's past true. two years. Uh, this is nothing different. I, I like this very much, and I, I'm glad I ordered it. The creatures are really well designed too. This could be in the Witchfinder universe mm-hmm. or the um, Baltimore. It's not so much BPR, okay. BPRD, but it looks like it could sag into Baltimore. I'm speaking my language fairly seamlessly. Yeah, it, you would you could mistake this for a Baltimore comic mm-hmm. if, if the the lead character didn't look the way he does. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, everything's dirty and dusty and grimy and um, disgusting, which is great. Sign me the f up. So that's Bloodborne number one. I have more, but it's Dap's turn. It is. It is. A uh, couple quick hits. Um, because this way someone can pick the room back up when I'm done. Ooh. Uh, yeah, just so that they get off my list. I, I just, I'm, I, I don't want to drag them on week after week, whatever we update mm-hmm. our, our reading mm-hmm. list. Uh, I'm, I don't, I haven't found the second issue yet. I don't know if it just hasn't shipped, but the first issue, uh, John Wick number one from Dynamite. Um, I, the first movie is so good. It is. So you didn't like good. the second movie? I didn't like how um, they, they they showed too much of the magic, and it just oh, it, okay. it kind okay. of um, it wasn't as special by, by by giving so much away. But I, like I mean, there were still some cool moments. But Ruby I think Rose just, and Common, I liked it for what it oh, was. Oh yeah, no, I liked I, I I you know in the same way I like some parts of Wanted and and sure. and movies like that. But I you know, just walking down the street and all of a sudden everybody's phone. Is showing and then and what really killed it for me is uh, which I'm sure is why we have to get to the third movie. But just him, him really, literally throwing it all away and and doing what he did in the Continental at the end. It just went kind of against everything that he was fighting for throughout the entire two movies. So just it, it but um, you know, the first issue, it I I love I love the Dennis Cowan and. Bill Sienkiewicz and Betty Brightweiser cover on my copy. I went with uh, cover B. The it's written by Greg Pak and it it it's the beginning. It, it's it's before. It's, it's like a prequel. It, it's it doesn't take place after the movies or between the two movies. This is John Wick before um, the 
the marker and and everything like that it takes place in in el paso uh it is drawn by giovanni valletta and vince and i well i vince was with me i flipped through uh giovanni's portfolio at uh, last year's new york comic-con he had some pages there and i didn't want to um you almost go too far i did and but i didn't there was no context i didn't know where what issue it was from i didn't know you know where where it played into the story and and there are very few um very few things move me enough to want to buy a page of a book that has this is before the first issue finally came out so again it's just one of those things i mean if it was if it was a chung or mm-hmm. or a, an Olivetti or something like that where it's like listen i never even read this issue but it's gorgeous and these are characters i know then yeah without a doubt but i had no no way of knowing where in the story as as cool as it looked, I just I, I need something there, a reason to to buy it other than just that it it looks cool for a story I haven't read yet that I don't even know if I'm going to like the story. So, um, but this is it's they're definitely John Wickiness to it. There, there's there's there are there. There's a scene, there are a couple of pages where you know he he uh, he has to take care of business, so he's doing what he does, and and it's all it it plays out like it would uh, in a John Wick movie, maybe a little slower because you know you you have to scan the page and 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 so it it just it doesn't um, it may not be as fluid in some regard, but there's still it, the story looks like it's going to be. A pretty cool story i just it, it's because it it was solicited and then it was offered again and it just it took forever to come out and i'd like to read the second issue and i am pretty sure i ordered i just don't know where it is um but after after the highs of the movies it as cool as it is to 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 see the character in a comic it just wasn't as and maybe that's not fair because it would be very hard to live up to uh, the movie, but it, it it didn't knock my socks off the way I wanted it to. Um, that was one. The other was a a crossover that really didn't need to cross over into three different comic books, um, and it probably would have worked in an annual. Uh, but it was the the Super Sons of Tomorrow, which took place in uh, starts off in uh, Superman thirty seven, then to Super Sons eleven, Teen Titans fifteen, Superman thirty eight, and it concludes in Super Sons number twelve. Uh, there were a bunch of uh, creators on this, although in the um, in the Superman issue, uh, it is drawn beautifully by by um, it, it, Jorge Jimenez. It it just it looks fantastic. But the it's it's the um, it's basically it's a Dick Grayson of a um, of a different Earth uh, who has to stop John uh, from causing some damage in the future uh or you know what it's been so long since i read this it may not be a different earth it may be a future dick grayson who's now batman but it's um 
the the whole idea of it and, and tying into the Titans and and how how quickly uh, Bruce Wayne is kind of put down in the first chapter. It just it went on too long for me. It it, it I don't um, as cool as it looks in some places. It just the the whole thing tying into the Titans and and someone losing a hand and and there's a rift between the Titans because. Some of them want to kind of safeguard John and Damien, uh, but they're also kind of, the older Titans are kind of teaming with the Dick Grayson Batman because they feel that, you know, he knows what's right. So there's, there's a little bit of a, of an issue. Uh, So there's some, there's some uh, strife within the team. But like I said, that just kind of went on, um, Way too long. But to bring it up, I will say, uh, as kinetic as it was, as, as, as frenzied, as, as maybe even confusing in some parts, uh, I read Savage Dragon number 232, and that was completely a 180 from everything else that I just mentioned, and, and, but in so a good, good way. Right? And it is, it's, man, it's, there's... Um, yeah, I mean, I I just I kind of thought Eric was going to maybe have them go in a different direction based on the end of two thirty one. I, I thought maybe we were going to get some three way action, and thankfully, we, well, maybe not thankfully, but we didn't. Uh, but that's not to say maybe uh, there wasn't something going on in the other dimension where uh, Dragon's son is, but the or other son. Um, or not Malcolm's son, but there's, it was a, yeah, no, it was, I really enjoy the way Larson says, just hits you over the head and says, you'll figure it out. This is a scene change. You turn the page. We're now somewhere else. You turn this page. We're now back here. And it's just like, I, I, so you just kind of, I'm not going to say you have to turn your brain off, but just, just let Larson do what he wants to do. And, and, that's all there is to it. Yeah, he does not belittle the reader's intelligence. He's not going to no. say, "Oh, we're in Meanwhile, Chicago elsewhere, now." Right? Yeah, exactly, he doesn't exactly. do that. He's like, I, and, "I think you're sharp enough to get it." Right. And and you know what? As it, there was, there's there's a big bad in two thirty two who makes some really good points about. Uh, about sexual predators and and justice and and what uh, what happens to them, but uh, I, there's a um, it was actually it was one of the quicker Savage Dragon reads in recent memory, um, and that's it's neither good nor bad. It's just it it's I, I finished it and it was it it went by pretty quick compared to to previous months, but the um, and it, no, I, I just, I'm still, you know, and thanks to Vince, I'm, I'm still enjoying uh, Savage Dragon after picking it up after years of not reading it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, um, and there, and, and I, I enjoyed the letters page because that, that's why 232 came into my head. Um, in, in the letters page, kicking off the letters page, uh, Larson says that, uh, 
232. Oh my God. And I love the funnies page. Mm-hmm. This cracked me up. I, 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 I love all these strips, but, um, Larson mentions that, uh, 232, he considers 232 to be a milestone issue. And obviously, you know, if you're an old Marvel head, uh, you know that, you know, the milestone issues are issue 150, issue 100, issue 75. They're just, for whatever reason, if it ends at a five, zero, it's, it's an anniversary issue. But for Larson, 232 is, in quotes, forever lodged, forever lodged in his head because that was the issue of the Fantastic Four where John Burns started his lengthy run. And, and he talks about how when you get to series that have gone on for decades, uh, for, for a long, long time, and have different creators taking over the stories, whereas he's just the same one dude writing, penciling, inking it uh, for all this time. But um, 232 is, is a special number for him. So this was a milestone to a degree. Um, and it made me chuckle because on the Slack, we were talking about fantastic four recently and, and how I need to refill some of the issues that, uh, that I'm missing. Actually, I mentioned it in the, um, in the previous video as well, but it, it's a, uh, but no Savage dragon is still a, uh, a blast and a half and not for you. If you are, I don't even want to say easily offended, but if, if, if you, if you frown on, on sex or curse words, move along. There's yeah. nothing to see here. I have some Savage Dragon too, which is weird because not only is it more Savage Dragon, but there's something in the letters pages that plays upon something that you just said. Oh, okay. Do yeah. Tell. But in 232, my favorite page is when Maxine has the t-shirt on and she's literally dripping yes and she's yep. all, she's all over malcolm and and he's like i'll be back His don't wake the kids up. D- don't start without me and she's like too late she's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> i mean what and in the on the uh in the fourth panel where she's like no no he's right here he just he, he can't talk right now because his mouth is full yeah. i love i i love the dirtiness of yeah. it. it it's just it is a if if you have a slightly perverted bone in your body or if Maxine wants it in her body, it's just one of those things where it you you will get a big kick out of it. And or if you just like points, fun. points to Maxine like... for wearing the, the bare naked ladies t shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but I got some Savage Dragon. This is a long, long time before the issues that the issue that you talked about. This is Savage Dragon number thirty four and thirty five. Oh. Now why are these issues important? Why are these issues slightly more important than any other issue of Savage Dragon? They're still done by um Mr. Larson. Um but he has a um someone come in on these issues to get the character's speech pattern down that he uh lovingly includes in these issues. It opens in 1952, and you got Hitler, 1952 now, do the math. Hitler's in Romania, and he has a giant battle suit. And of course, it has the big-ass swastika on the back and the front. And he's, he's throwing down with someone, someone who possesses 
the uh, the right hand of doom. He's thrown, uh-huh. he's thrown down with Hellboy. Uh-huh. Yeah, Mike Mignola was brought in on these issues to get really? to get the the Hellboy dialogue down. Um, mm. So Hellboy and and Hitler are thrown down, and Hellboy has him on the ropes naturally. And what Hitler does is he activates the failsafe in his armor, and it goes kablooey. Instead of being captured, he he blows up. Um, and his head separates from his body. And it's picked up by acolytes and, and taken somewhere. But it eventually... Now, now we're back into Savage Dragon continuity. It eventually finds its way onto a giant gorilla who becomes a member of the vicious circle named Brain Ape. You've seen Brain Ape. He's just a giant gorilla with a, with a bowl on his head and with an exposed mm-hmm. brain, and that's Hitler's brain. And um, Brain Ape is, is on the ropes because he um, had to be patched together, and Cyberface did it, and now he owes Cyberface a favor. And um, he's told, you know, you either, you either kill Savage Dragon or you're going to stay here imprisoned, you know, for the rest of your life. So he's, he has no recourse. He, uh, he has to take out Dragon. Meanwhile, and this is how they get Hellboy into it, Cyberface's body's breaking down. He's, he's, he's becoming decrepit and withered and, and it's just like his longevity is, is, uh, at question. So, um, he uses Abner Cadaver, a dude who's fluent in the, in the mystic arts and he's managed to escape death himself. So he's like, help me get back on my feet. Um, Abner summons a whole bunch of creatures who have the power to cheat death, zombies, mummies vampires and they all converge on chicago so you got all these icky nasties converging on one space who enters the picture hellboy and the be well just hellboy not to be prd um so and cyberface is trying everything he he get he tries to get bit by a vampire to maybe give him some kind of mojo and it's it's just not happening but meanwhile um brain ape takes over Hellboy and Savage Dragon's bodies, and he or he makes them fight. It's a typical two heroes meet. There's no fight at first because it's like, oh, I know you, you're Hellboy. He's like, oh, how you doing, Savage Dragon? Right? Okay. And but um, Brain Ape makes them fight, so they're, they're they're throwing down. There's giant mummies in it. I guess that's the theme for for the me for this week. There's a giant mummy that emerges from a train car and uh they're both trying to kick its ass but the in 34 there's a letter in the in the on the letters pages david that says that reads larry martyr sent me a copy of issue 31 i i have to tell you i laughed out loud at several spots in the story that doesn't happen very often let me tell you oh hey and congratulations on being the last remaining image partner to do the whole package yourself and stick to doing comic books. I may, I, I take my hat off to you, you big lug. You know who wrote that? Oh, it wasn't Peter David. No. You big lug. Dave Sim. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Well, stands to reason, right? He did 300 himself. 
with uh, a little assist from Gerhard. But more than a little, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And push comes to shove, the, there's a giant sea monster that pops up in in true uh, Moby Dick fashion. Um, the uh, the pair are ingested by the sea monster and have to emerge. Well, first they battle skeleton pirates, and then they emerge out of its anus. They crawl through its its colon and and out its anus. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just this this is what the medium of comics to me is for. Um, they eventually beat Brain Ape and Dragon. Uh, slams the shit out of him, pulls off his his uh, head bowl, and the brain, the, Hitler's brain, is running away. It has two little tiny appendages at the bottom <laughs> of it, and the brain's the brain's running away. And Hellboy tries like to that. Hellboy tries to shoot it, and he misses. He 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 does uh, two shots, misses, and Dragon's mm-hmm. like, "Man, you suck." He goes, well, I- "I'll get this," and he pulls a dagger from his back that one of the pirates stabbed him with and he flings it and skewers the brain to the wall. <laughs> but if you ever had to wonder who would win in a fight, <coughs> um, Savage Dragon or, or Hellboy, this will uh, definitively, it, it's no match. Dragon kicks his ass. <laughs> he goes, I thought you'd be a little stronger than this. He's like, well, hmm. sorry. Well, I mean, it is dragons. I mean, it's, it's, I was going to say, it's, uh, I mean, so number one, (laughs) number two, I mean, I can see that. Like, Mignola's always made Hellboy mortal in a way. I mean, not, I mean, he's not, he's, he's in fact the opposite of mortal, but you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like, like the, the, his universe is, is, is grimy. It's visceral. It's somewhat as realistic as the, as the stories he tells can be. Right. So I never got the sense that Hellboy or any of the characters, I guess, in BPRD were, were omnipotent, whereas Savage, at least, of he's essentially as strong. He's like a Superman. He could be as he's as strong as he needs to be for the story, right? Yeah, and he has the regeneration uh, powers. Yeah. Too. So I mean, yeah. he's he's lost limbs. He's lost the majority of his yeah. head, and he's he's. I mean, he's been uh, blown up, and he still comes back. I mean, it's all fantasy, right? But uh, mm-hmm. Abe, Abe Sapien makes a very brief appearance. If you're a fan of old yeah. Abe, it's just this is fun stuff. I, I don't know why I read these. I'm, there they were. I was going through some boxes, and there they were, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, looks good to me." Completely apropos of nothing, but you just made me think of because uh, you talked about the healing factor. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into this in great detail, but y'all know I've been praising praising Tom Taylor's uh, all new, all different Wolverine. You know, uh, yes. which, well, so <clears throat> just I just it, just want to make this one aside because I thought it was funny um, in the arc that just wrapped up, which is um, essentially all of uh, all of the. It's a, a cult of people that um, that were uh, the survivors of the victims of Wolverine and all of his cohorts. So all of the you know all the widows and kids and orphans of the people that were killed by Logan and Laura and and Dokken and all those people you know have teamed up to go at them and they've they've created a cult that uh, and they've they've gotten the Muramasa blade, which for those of you longtime Wolverine fans know that the Muramasa blade was created by Logan to be the one thing that could kill him. And it was used um, back in Wolverine Origins to attempt to kill him. Uh, anyway, they—they—it's kind of cool. They melt the Muramasa blade down into bullets, uh, and so the, the they could start taking out all of the uh, the Wolverines, if you will. Um, but just you made me think of it because uh, you know they've got Honey Badger now, the little Gabby, the little X twenty three, you know, clone girl. 
the and and she's very she's the deadliest of them all, but she's also innocent because she's a little girl. And when they realize that uh, that these bullets and stuff can actually hurt them, they what they have to do is essentially if they get shot with it, they have to cut enough of their body away so that the 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 um, the necrosis of this of you know can can be healed over right. So like if they get shot in the arm, you have to basically cut us cut your they have to cut their arm off so they can regrow. Um, or they'll die because uh, it just doesn't that that skin won't heal if it's been touched by the blade. So uh, Gabby looks at him. And she's like, "Well, how does that work?" She's like, "If if I'm like cut in half, like do I grow into two me's?" And I just thought that was hysterical because that is such a conceit of like the Wolverine character, right? Like he's been Seriously. destroyed by Galactus, he's been blown up by nuclear weapons, and like he grows back from the most minute cell. And 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 I just think it's great that that Taylor threw that in there, like, the little girl being like, so what actually would happen? Because, like, no one ever addresses that in these comics with people with healing factors. They should. Like, no, I know, right? But I'm saying they don't, right? Like, they don't. Well, that's not true. There was a thing with Deadpool where one of his his appendages grew into be an insane killer version of him. But anyway, but, but I just thought it was funny. <laughs> so I, See, that's I want to bring it back to some... I want to, I want to make Vince happy. I want to talk some Valiant some valiant Vince doesn't uh in in fact we took a Q&A with um with the the patrons that will maybe we'll hit this this Wednesday I for was, at least a little bit. I was just going to Go say ahead. uh before you segged that we had a bunch of questions that our our patrons yeah. so we could cover some of those this episode. All right, well I, I mean there's a lot I want to talk to you guys about cuz I haven't right. so I'm moving on so but but I'm but 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 I do know that this was this this was a question where someone pointed out that you don't they're surprised that you don't like or make an effort to go see the films the way that Dap and I are. That's the one I wanted to focus on. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well. So let's let's before we get into and you answering that question as to the why of that, um, I'm wondering if the announced and and if you guys talked about this on Wednesday, I apologize. No. I haven't listened to the episode yet, but it was announced that Sony, after having a deal with Valiant for several years to no avail, has officially closed. Uh, the deal and will begin production of bloodshot and it will be starring Vin Diesel. Yeah. And now I, I want to hear your guys reaction to that, but, 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 but beyond that, I thought it was kind of interesting because, um, it's going to be directed by, uh, Dave Wilson. And this is his first time directing a movie. So no one, no one be upset if you don't recognize the name, but he is the longtime collaborative partner at Blur Studios is Tim Miller, who is the director of the two Deadpool movies. So definitely I'm intrigued by that. Cause I think, oh, wait, uh, is he directing the second? Because uh, yeah. I thought there was a falling out and, and creative differences. Oh, really? Uh, oh, I assume yeah, he, he was. Wanted it, he wanted it to oh, go in one direction, but Ryan and company wanted Ooh. it to stay in a different direction, more true to the character. And Ooh. All right, well. So you okay. keep talking. I'll look it up. Well, yeah. so he directed the first one, though, which I loved. Um, which is so either way, I, I did love the first Deadpool and I thought he did a great job. So, uh, this is his writing partner and he's going to be directing the movie, but it's written the screenplay, the script that they're going to use was written by Eric Heisserer, mm-hmm. who in the movie world is best known for his Oscar nominated script for arrival. Yep. But we know him as the gentleman who wrote one of our collective favorite valiant works True. of the last few years, secret weapons. Yep. So I'm all kinds of excited about this because Heiserer, uh, you know, I didn't know he was a Hollywood scribe, but but I loved what he did with the Secret Weapons. Um, so I know he cares very much about the Valiant comic book universe and knows how to tell stories. 
Uh, we're all Bloodshot fans. And while I'm not going to say that Vin Diesel is going to ever win an Academy Award, I think he's more than appropriate for the character in this mm-hmm. movie because, uh, you know, look, he's he's arguably, I mean, outside of The Rock, probably one of the biggest action stars in the world. I mean, the, the Fast and the Furious movies are as, as commercially successful as anything that's ever happened in film. So I'm all sorts of geeked about this. I think I'm, I'm, I have high hopes for for this uh, this whole idea of Valiant as a Hollywood um, uh, thing finally getting off the ground. Yep. Well, What's that's thing? when you uh, told me, I said, well, OK, if Vin Diesel is attached to it, that pretty much assures that the thing's going to get made, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's nice. Um, it's a smart choice to go with Bloodshot. Mm-hmm. For their first Valiant movie, think about it. What are they going to do? Archer and Armstrong, Eternal Warrior. Then, then you got a whole backstory that you have to somehow get in there. Um, and even even Ninjak and and Shadow Man, they they're not good as as a opening salvo into something that's bigger than the sum of its parts. Like Marvel mm-hmm. played it really smart. And um, what was the first? Was it, it was Iron well, Iron Man? Iron Man kicked Iron it off, but before that, it was the, uh, Incredible Hulk. Well, True. yeah, I'm I'm going with Iron Man, but, right? Yeah, right. most people do. So I mean, Iron Man started off little tiny bites. It gave you glimpses into mm-hmm. a, a much bigger world. Where I think that's that's the perfect uh, Bloodshot's the perfect character to do it with. Yeah. You can get into Project Rising Spirit, and then that could be the the open the door into Harada and and the Syats, and it's just it's great. It's a great way to do it. But it, yeah, what and what is cool about that is just like um, Marvel is able to do with uh, they they had their heist movie with Ant Man. They they have their you know, sci fi comedy romp with with guardians of the galaxy mm-hmm. they, they they you have the buddy movie with thor ragnarok so so they they can even though it's the same you can say it's the same formula or or you're familiar with all the characters that are in these movies they they try to kind of give you a different feel uh and like you just said vince you 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 start off a bloodshot which you know if you're a punisher fan there's your in if if you um there's there's enough there to get people interested in the universe. And then, like you said, with you have your, your Ninjak, you have your turn to war, you have your Archer and Armstrong. So you can, I mean, your quantum and Woody, there's your comedy buddy movie. So, but, but that might get lost with everything else. At least if you, like you said, with baby steps, you'll be able to, to get to that. Um, yeah, you can't have it overnight. I think no. that that was one of the, the problems with DC playing catch up. They did want it overnight. Mm-hmm. And and they just you you got to lay the groundwork. Marvel, you know, I I'm I'm not a gigantic fan of what Marvel has done. I, I like a lot of them. I don't like some of them, but that, that's neither here nor there. But you, one thing you have to you must take away from the Marvel movies it was the the road from Iron Man to Infinity War is a virtuoso performance in subtlety. They. They planted seeds in every movie that led you on and on and on. There were breadcrumbs that just pulled you through this entire universe. It was, I don't think we're ever going to see a progression of movies that as successfully fleshed out this entire universe as what Marvel gave us. You're not going to see that again. 
No. Well, and it's not, and you're, you're not. If you do, it's going to be copycat. Exactly. And, and, and it's going to be so telegraphed that, I mean, we're not that necessarily people are conditioned. I mean, those of us who have been enjoying the Marvel movies from jump, we, we knew, I mean, as soon as you see Thanos at the end of the first Avengers movie and, and, you know, you get the, the hint of the infinity stones, you, you, you know where we're headed. And, and as often as a Captain America or a Thor movie or an Iron Man movie come out, these actors are getting older. They're not going to be around forever. So they have to make some changes. And, and even if they're, no matter, they're hitting all all the things we as as fans want to see. Um, but yeah, it's it's not going to. I mean, as 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 many Star Wars movies as there's been, there has they you haven't had the the orchestrating of of the mapping it all out as as cleanly and and deliberately, and and that's why I can't. You know, you you may want, you may have wanted to have that Edgar Wright Ant Man movie. You may have wanted Ava DuVernay to to direct Black Panther. But if if those directors aren't going to work within the system that Marvel set up, because these are still Marvel characters, these are the stories they want to tell, then you have to you have to part ways. You can't as as much as you may want your favorite director to direct a movie for Marvel. If the director has his own idea or her own idea for something and it doesn't fit in the story that Marvel's telling, it's it's not going to happen. And and I'd I'd rather I'd rather them keep going where they're going and, and tell the story they want to tell than just me to get that 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 cool moment yeah. of of some director to say we've, I did. We've, this. we've seen the dangers of that in the comics. We, we we've seen a shit ton of bad comic books yeah. because they right. were editorially mandated. You, yeah. we're, we're just lucky right. that the people in charge of the Marvel franchise have their heads screwed on tight, tightly. If if they didn't, you it would it's nothing more than an editor saying you got to make Wolverine yeah. have breasts. You know. Well, let's be clearly. We got. I mean, let's give all the credit. I mean, Kevin Feige deserves all the credit, right? I mean, he's 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 the guy. He's the guy that runs the studio. He's the guy that keeps that that train rolling and. Probably why he's the guy that's you know considered one of the favorites to be the CEO of Disney in, the, in a few years when oh, wow. when Iger hangs it up. Um, right. He's he's the guy. Um, you know, I will say too. Um, I remember when when um, when the Ant Man situation, the whole brouhaha happened. And listen, all, all I'll say about that is 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 to your point. I mean, Marvel you, Marvel can't be accused of not giving different directors di- with different voices a chance because um, I mean. It's. It, I have. In other words, I have to put the blame on on the two directors that got balanced, not Marvel, because they must have really had some serious creative differences. And I, I because if you think about some of the directors that have been involved now, I mean, we've we've had Kenneth Branagh, who is a Shakespearean <laughs> actor, who has almost all of his films he's ever directed have been Shakespearean remakes. Do one in Thor. Then you have Taika Waititi, who is an independent comedy guy. You know, and 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 Thor Ragnarok, even to my personal taste, was too funny. I I I didn't particularly care for it as much as I had hoped because it was so funny. But my point is not that not to get rehash personal reviews of Thor Ragnarok, but to say Marvel has given lots of different directors a chance to use their own voice. Hell, James uh, Gunn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sure. So so 
James Gunn so was I, a trauma ha- guy of all places. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have to I have to put the onus on on Edgar and and uh, and Duvernay for like I have to put the blame on them for it not being able to work out. Like, and look, if they just had strong, you know, what we don't know is did they have a, a line they weren't willing to cross and they just felt it wouldn't be their movie, whereas other directors were more willing to to give in to to creative input. I, I don't know, but but I don't get the sense from any of these directors that have done them that. They 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 feel like the movies weren't what they wanted them to be. Right. And again, like I'll just go to the, I mean Ragnarok. I mean, Thor Ragnarok is a funny movie. I mean, they're legit. It's comedic in many spots, and that's by design because the director they chose to helmet is a comedic director, and he spoke about how he doesn't really hold comic books and comic book lore in very high regard, and he didn't he didn't let the nostalgia overwhelm his sense of what he thinks a movie should be, and um, so you know, kudos to them for that. And I didn't read, I didn't see, I haven't listened to any of the commentary for, for Age of Ultron. I do know that, uh, I don't think the second, Joss's second Avengers movie went as, as well as maybe the first one did. Um, so I don't, I'm not trying to get into the whole backstage aspect of it, but there are, um, from what I, from what was hinted, uh, I guess there was some creative control or creative differences with Joss and Marvel uh, over Age of Ultron. But again, you know, it's not like and Joss isn't hurting for work, and he's still <laughs> a producer and 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 pretty much the dude running the show on on Agents of Shield. So it's not like he he threw his hands in the air and says, "You know, the hell with Marvel." He's still doing his thing. Um, David Leach is your director oh, okay. for Deadpool two. Um, okay. But or I'm sorry, the untitled Deadpool sequel is still right, what it's yeah, listed yeah. as. Right. Uh, but no, they're they're um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's it's neat seeing the movies play out differently than the comics, like you said, Vince, with the the editorial mandate and and what what the creators are kind of free to do because these are still. These are still Marvel properties, you know, whether it's in print or on the screen, but obviously they're different mediums, so people can have leeway with different things. And let's be honest, there's a whole lot more to lose in a movie than there is a comic. You're also getting a hell of a lot more eyes on it. Well, yeah, but we're talking billions. Yeah. Black Panther made a billion dollars. Billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you have a, a line of comics that isn't doing so well, what are you going to lose? Many, right. millions we're talking billions in the movies yeah. so yep. yeah it's it's a it's a horse of a totally different color now jason Speaking what was that of, question okay. that question uh well the, okay i'm gonna get that question but i have one more thing before we get to the question it's all interrelated all right. uh what about the huge news that netflix has paid rob our boy <laughs> mr liefeld an insane amount of money <laughs> i'm hearing high like many 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 millions to acquire the creative rights to his extreme universe. Now, when you say many, many, many millions, are we talking about a hundred million? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. But like, you know, eight figures for the rights, <laughs> and then if depending on how successful they are, a lot more than that. Oh, I think it's awesome. I do too. And listen, I'm going to keep a 100 before I get your guys' reactions. I love Rob, a hundred percent. Y'all know that. Um, I mean, a lot of these characters, you know, derivative. 
derivative, such yeah. that I don't know that there's a meaty story <laughs> behind a lot of these characters. Um, the news officially is that Netflix is optioned the Extreme Universe. They're immediately going to start producing feature films with it. Akiva Goldsman will be the head of, a, of the writer's room. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I will reserve judgment on the works themselves until we hear more. But I'm super happy for Rob because, I mean, dude has, uh, dude's renaissance is, is continuing apace. He is having yeah. a hell of a, of a second life. Yeah. Well, I'm, so. I'm pretty sure, I'm assuming they're going to lead with Youngblood. It's the logic. They haven't choice, announced right? anything anything about it, so I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't but, think they've I mean, given. There's a uh, there's a lot of great characters. You have Supreme. Supreme is is Liefeld. Yeah, but it's also a Superman rip. So you can kind of, yeah. I, I think, maybe focus on. You don't because then once that happens, then you're you you risk being. The studio that's just doing knockoffs and and so you yeah you've got you've got blood you've got brigade and blood strike and blood boom and blood, blood pool wolf. Yeah, blood, blood wolf, wolf. rejects uh, uh, <laughs> glory so, this is gonna yeah. be great oh man if they do profit the that's way what I was thinking of yeah. that see that would be great yeah that yeah but either way I just wanted to say shout out to him so getting to the question um, one of the questions on the patron was. Directed to Vince, and it was essentially that um, you know they're surprised at your consistent disinterest in even going to see any of the films when David and I talk about them. Yep. And it just surprises them because you are so into the visuals and and you do love movies, and so they were wondering what's behind that. It's pretty simple. I don't need the movies. I, I don't need to see the Avengers take on Thanos on the big screen. It's nice. It's a, it's a good way to waste a couple hours, but I don't need it. I mm-hmm. I have the comics and it's a medium that is not the same as film. So it's it's like do I need to see a movie adaptation of um I don't know, relayer, like a rec- a record album. I it's 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 taking one a work done in one medium and shoehorning it into the other. I mean, it's a natural thing now. Movies are big deals. So great. And I'm glad that there's a huge audience for them, but I don't, I don't really need them. I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have to see them. I don't, like you said, you teared up when you saw Wakanda for the first time mm-hmm. on, on mm-hmm. the screen. That's great. And, and I, I love that you enjoy the characters so much that when your flat two dimensional memories were realized in, moving pictures it, it spoke to you that's awesome they could take the new gods or commandy and make movies out of them and i'd be like okay whatever mm-hmm. but I, I i just don't i don't have this this drive to see them you, you throw old horror movies at me and old exploitation films and i'll watch them all damn day but i just like with the superhero stuff and the comic book movies i just i there's part like a, a huge part of me just doesn't care I just, mm-hmm. I know, and I, it's because it's, the, the origins are two dimensional. The, the mechanics of comics don't work for the movies and vice versa. Well, no, not vice versa. Mechanics of movies work very well in comics, but I just, I, I don't find it a necessity. David 
put on Facebook that he's watching Jessica Jones. Absolutely no interest in watching that. But yeah, you really enjoyed The Punisher. And you enjoyed the first season. That's different. Well, yeah, the first I watched the first season of Jessica Jones hoping that it would be something, and it was fun, but I don't Mm -hmm. want to see another season of that. And I'm I'm, I'm guessing that that's what this is going to be. Because it Mm -hmm. is the same series, right? It's a continuation of the first season. Right. It's, it's It's not like it picks up right after The Defenders or... I mean, it's been eight episodes, nine episodes we haven't seen luke so it's not like it really is kind of it's its own thing uh aside from jerry hogarth who was of course brought into the first season of jessica jones and played a part in the defenders because of her relationship with danny rand um there's very little i mean you don't even i mean we're years past it now but they don't even mention the 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 incident or the the attack in new york the battle of new york you don't you know it's the only thing is uh the superintendent's son has a Captain America action figure. I mean, other than that, you really, it, it's kind of its own thing, it feels like, and, and which is cool. And it's its still a um, a very literally strong female character. So um, right. it's, it's, it's been, it's better than based on how some of the Netflix Marvel shows have been and, and how they kind of... Uh, peter out as the season continues it's they're on a roll since the punisher it's this has been a very very good season based on some of the other series we've we've had but you mentioned the punisher that's a character that's closer to my heart than Mm -hmm. jessica jones sure definitely luke cage like the punisher He's not my Spider-Man, but he's up there in the Marvel Universe. So, yeah, I'm more willing to check that out than I am a, a Jessica Jones. But another mm-hmm. another aspect of these things is the cult aspect of it, how everyone gets so they wig out when when these things are about to drop. And, and everyone has to go to the movies the first weekend to see it or they're going to get spoilers. Like that whole carrot on a stick angle just it's i i, I just I, I i can't play that i don't care I, well and I, I respect just, that I'm, I mean, I'm, you're being, you're, you're being I'm honest aging. but, but I, i'm aging I, w- I was gonna say that the the i think the cool thing to me about that is that we came up in a time when we lived that life as comic fans yeah i mean for a good chunk of our life we needed to get to the store to get the comic when it came out that week to talk about it right but we were like, in a minority and we kind of no, but I think we live that life though. Like yeah. we, like that was a big part of it. That's that's the that's one of the reasons we were fanatics. That's one of the reasons the the periodical has been so resilient is because it's taken a long time to condition all of us into realizing that we don't need to read the comic the day it comes out. Right. That we can enjoy it, and and we don't need to be part of. And part of that is because we don't have to have that instant narrative anymore. And I like that now. There are millions of people experiencing that same thing that that was one of the cruxes of driving us into be fanatics about this stuff so i dig it i mean but i get it though if it doesn't right, if the, but it's if, it's it is the, it's not the same thing though because you know where where we're we're grooving a, well maybe it is we were grooving on the art and the story movies a different beast you know it it's it's 
there, there's not a focus uh, as much, nearly as much, on the visuals. It's more the story. Oh, did you see what happened to the vision? Oh, man. But it's not, it's not, how about the way Gene Cullen drew that panel? Was that monu- not monumental? You know, it's, there's, there's a separation between the craft and the, the, the storytelling in the movies where there wasn't in the comics. We would talk as much about how an artist or writer did something on the creative end of it, mm-hmm. whereas in the movies it's all surface. It's all just pure adrenaline and, and fun. And it, they forget that, that there's a, an artistic angle where is that, that's the angle that's not the same for me. Okay. Like uh, the, yeah. the, the, the shading on Cap's boots or the way, you know, a, a character will draw Spider-Man perched on a, a, a creator will draw Spider-Man perched on a, um, a, a ledge. And I'm thinking John Romita Jr., Spider-Man in the rain, like that panel, that double page spread is just phenomenal. And there's not that kind of attention paid to those things in the movies, mm-hmm. you know, it, because they're not the same approach. It's not the same animal. I, I give me give me sequential art bef- way before movies. It's the way it's always been, and so I, I don't rush out to see them. And I just I'll watch them eventually. Whatever. I still haven't seen Ragnarok. What I, I haven't seen Black Panther. Just it, I get around to it. It's just not a priority. That's all. So there you go. Asked and answered. Right. Boom. Patrons. Oh, while we're on it, should we uh, just do a quick little shout out to our, our patrons who uh, do it up have so have so lovingly um, uh, supported us uh, with uh, with their new 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 tiered patronage? Uh, now you guys shouted out. You said Dab, you said you shouted out uh, Darren and Christopher Darren and Chris. on Thursday. Yes. Okay. Cool. So then uh, uh, then it is my great pleasure to. Shout out a longtime friend of the show, our our good buddy Joel Cables, mm-hmm. who has joined the crew. And a shout out to Forever Comics Pub, who was already a patron but has jumped up to the Illuminati level. So much love that. to you both. We we yes. appreciate it very much. And and we should say we are we are comfortably back in the zone of, of six episodes a month, Vince. So I know, right? Now we gotta get to eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know about that. Can I? Can I? Uh, can I jump into one of these other two graphic you are novels? So okay. cute. He's got to ask. What? It's like, ask oh, you always shit. ask, Vince. You always ask. Um, okay, so the next one. I'm saving the best for last. Okay, I liked all three very much, but I'm going to save the one that that you two need to go read as well. Because um, this is another one that I loved, and uh, I think, but but is probably not something either of you are going to uh, to run out and get. Um, this is the best we could do, an illustrated memoir by. T. Bui, which is a T-H-I first name, last name B-U-I. Um, this is a um, this is by Abrams, I should say. It is a, it is a hardcover um, with a dust jacket. Looks like a, a novel by uh, put out by Abrams. Uh, T is a a, uh, a Vietnamese woman, um, graphic artist. She has illustrated uh, many things in many genres over the years. But uh, this is her her work written and drawn. Um, I believe she started this back in 2004 and finally got it to a place where she was ready to release it into the world. And 
It is another nonfiction book, although this is far more artistic in its approach to the presentation than Hostage, which was a very straightforward presentation of, of a factual event. Uh, this is a story that uh, T is essentially trying to encapsulate uh, the the family history of um, her family's evolution, starting with um, her parents. Uh, we, we, we see the, the entire life cycle of her two parents who were both born in Vietnam uh, and then um, going all the way through to, to T's forming of her own family, getting married, having a child. And at the end of the book, her child is now 10 years old. Um, but it is a masterfully com- complex presentation and that she jumps all over time. Uh, the book opens with her giving birth to her son in 2004, I believe. Um, the book uh, ends with her son swimming in the ocean at 10 years old. But as I said, I mean, we bounce all over the map from there, from when her uh, her father was a, was, was a, a toddler uh, to a young man to when her and we we just see the entire life cycle of her of her parents and and, and everything and it's just such a fascinating look at um in, in by her own admission her parents were boat people which was a, a somewhat of a derogatory name used for the uh um southeast asian immigration wave that happened during the rise of communism uh both during and then particularly after the like the vietnam conflict and things like that um her parents came over when she was three and uh, like many immigrants struggled with their identity and to see them in their American form uh, was really um, unfortunately a shadow of the people that they were uh, because they had to basically give up everything and go through a lot of hardship to get over here. And just because of circumstance and lack of formal education and documentation, they were unable to, um, attain the, the lives that they had maintained when they were in their own countries. Um, and, and this is T's journey through not only trying to understand her own heritage, but understanding uh, her parents in ways that I think really resonated to me because look, I, I um, one of the things that really struck me about this book is the way that she sees her parents as she ages and how that changes. Uh, you know, she grew up fearing her father um, he was a quiet, angry man, uh, and he w- he wasn't abusive in any way to them. But but he was he was but he scared them in spite of that. Uh, her and her brother. Um, but uh, but but now as as the person telling the story, she's a grown woman and independent, largely Americanized. I mean, she was born she was here when she was three, and and you know grew up an American more than a than a than than someone that would consider themselves Vietnamese. And by the time she's writing the story, she sees her father in a totally different light. He, he's an older man now. He's somewhat weak physically. Um, but she also has grown to understand why he was the way he was growing up and that the, and, and has built an empathy for, for that because she can, she can now understand why uh, a once proud, successful man whose life was derailed through no fault of his own because of circumstance and poverty and, and the rise of communism and being displaced and that sort of thing, um, how that shaped him. And, uh, she just does an, an, an incredible job juxtaposing the times because I think time hopping is a difficult thing to pull off in a, in a book. Um, particularly as you guys were saying with, uh, with, with 
with Savage Dragon. Like he doesn't he doesn't suffer fools. He doesn't give you those little word balloons or interstitials to tell you that uh, that we're jumping around to different places. And and she doesn't either. She doesn't you know she doesn't say now chapter twelve, you know nineteen eighty one. She doesn't do that. You know she she relies on her visual storytelling and and the narrative um, and who's 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 in the scene to to inform you of of, of where we are here. I mean she she can. You know, you have to be. She has to be confident enough in her ability to visually establish what her young, mo- what her mother looked like as a young woman, versus what she looked like, so that you understand we're, we're seeing a story of her mother as a young college girl, and not her. Um, and you know, it's 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 not dissimilar to me um, in a lot of ways to how impressed I was with uh, with with Emil Ferris last year and her sort of debut as a graphic storyteller. It's it's hard for me to believe that that these people can put out this accomplished of a work with like their first salvo into the medium. It's, 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 it's almost soul crushing to someone who even tangentially aspires to be, you know, a writer someday, like to think that they could put these works out and it can be like the first work they're putting out for consumption and to be this good. Um, but I also think it's really poignantly timed. So in a, in a way, even though she started this doesn't I love that it took until 2017 to hit the stands because, look, we're in a very politically charged world right now where I think whether you're pro or or anti these protectionist immigration pushes, I think most of us are against them, certainly, at least among us and, and among our listeners. But they're, regardless of whether you're for or, or against increased um, immigration laws and rules, I do think the idea of immigrants has been dumbed down. It's become a political talking point, and I think it's been dehumanized, even by the side like our side that is is largely against um, making it harder for immigration or for people that are here to stay. Um, I think we we talk about it now in such passionate terms in terms of like the legality or the people behind trying to change it and how angry it makes us without really remembering that like these are people. I mean, immigrants are literally I mean, it, it sounds silly to say it. I'm hearing myself say it. it sounds silly, like no shit, Sherlock. But, I mean, we forget that they're people with lives and histories, and a lot of them had risked a lot. I mean, like, literally risked their lives and their livelihood and gave up wealth and success and academic achievement and, and uh, professional stature for the chance to give themselves or their kids a different future here. And this book so wonderfully captures the very essence of that and the complexities with which many immigrants had to face a lot of hard hardships to get to where they're going. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily a linear thing where they just woke up one day and said, Oh, I'm going to go and be a U.S. citizen. You know, there, there's, there's decades of, of, of political and social change that went on in their, in their, in their lives, in their countries that, that largely lead to these decisions. And these decisions are not made lightly and they're not made easily. And even when they make them, they're not sure they were the right decisions, even many years after they get here. So uh, it's just a, incredibly powerful emotional work um, that uh, that that I would recommend to anybody that has an interest in understanding why so many of us are so passionately in support of 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 the power of immigration and giving people a chance um, so just just a master work by by T boy and uh, one more time it's it's called the best we could do uh, and this was on I mean admittedly I bought this book because it was on a million of the end of the year best of lists 
um, you know, from the Eisners to like Amazon to, you know, to a bunch of the ones we've posted on the forums at the year, end of the year, like Complex and a bunch of the other magazines. So, so this is not one that I uh, came across absent at already getting praised by other people, but, uh, but the praise was well-deserved. And uh, I implore anyone that, uh, that, that likes this kind of story, uh, you know, real life story to, to give it a, a, a check. And I didn't talk a lot about the visuals, but, um, but the visuals are, are, are powerful. Again, the, 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 the 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 human anatomy the the figure work isn't gonna you know this isn't Quapel this isn't you know this isn't like Opeña you're not gonna look at the figure you're not gonna fall in love visually with the way that the figures are drawn but the power of her decisions from as a storyteller and the panels and the way that she expresses emotion and and some of the key moments of of each of their lives is is, is great great very mature stuff I mean far more mature than her relative inexperience as a comic book creator would uh, would suggest so two huge thumbs up nice Vince is like yeah this is another one that doesn't sound like it's on my alley <laughs> well I, it's an illustration on on our approach to, to the medium I, I think of the three of us you are the most willing to try different things where where I'm pretty much stuck uh, I have a a window. I, lots of, I mean, we all read lots of different comics. I mean, we you, we do, but I mean, if the if the 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 concept or the core is not there for me, I won't I won't try it. Like, despite the the illustration style, I'm I'm stuck in the 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 superhero horror, more horror than superhero, but like the horror, um, psychotronic, surreal, <laughs> crazy. I was going to say you you are actually prone to and have talked about many times. Inst- as we sit in sun silence uh, about books that are like truly driven almost to be um well it's like it's like you know like zappa comics like like sure. like just purely visually expressive and right. experimental that, almost to the point where i'm not even sure the books have a narrative right but that's not the point of the book and you often can fall in love with those yep so yeah i think again in terms of all of our concentric circles i can and often do really enjoy um like real stories like stories about real life you know the uh, slice i hate to use slice of life because i feel like that often belittles what some of this these works are but 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 for those I mean, that's probably what you would describe a lot of these books slice yeah. of life books books that are about a view into someone's real life right some of my darkest uh years collecting comics were during that phase when it seeming seems that Every artist and and their brothers were trying autobiographical comics, mm-hmm. and I could not stand any of them. Mm-hmm. Like I just can't read this. Why do I care? Why mm-hmm. you're, you know, um, even Chester Brown. I, mean, I read the Chester Brown stuff, but that was mm-hmm. even a slog. Like I, I I need a fantastic hook. I need something. Mm-hmm. outside of the mundane or the everyday to get me into the book. And um, sure. autobio stuff just didn't do it. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Yeah. That's totes fine. Totes. Let's talk about something fantastical. Yeah. Um, well, we should be bringing this all home. Not well. I got one more I got to talk about. Got to get oh, it off my plate. We'll do it. It's a trio, dude. It's a trio. Got to give you the trio. We'll do the trio. Well, okay, here's the deal. This was going to be in my In Your Travels, just to break you up, because, you know, we don't, they don't 
who wants to listen to Jason go on for 45 minutes? Not that it's <laughs> not entertaining, but we need a little bit of variety. Um, I don't think David will enjoy this book. Um, I have not looked at the Slack list, but I don't know if it's on there. Uh, it's it's an image comic written by Richard Starkings, uh, and Tyler Shane line. You mean, you mean the one that I mentioned last week that I said, hopefully everybody will read it. Oh, you did. Okay. And shaky cane did the art and the color. He did indeed. And I read it as well. It's called the beef. Yes. The beef. And as I'm reading it, there are, as I read it, there are certain instances where I can imagine Mr. Price just not vibing with it. No, this is definitely going to be one of those episodes where I think we're going to surprise each other from time to time. Nice. Look at that. You enjoyed the beef, number one? I enjoyed, I, yes, yes, I enjoyed the beef, number wow. one. Wow. As did I. Woo, me too. Well, I'm glad we're all in agreement because it is the story of Chuck Carter. And Chuck Carter is a second generation meatpacking worker, slaughterhouse worker. Uh, his daddy worked in the slaughterhouse that produces the meat for a local, um, I don't even know if it's local, a, a fast food chain called The Beef that specializes in beef, hamburgers, right? Um, Chuck's daddy worked there and he died there. There was a mishap with uh, some kind of machine from China and, and daddy got uh, stuck in it and eventually died. Um, mm-hmm. And and Chuck Chuck works there as well. But um, through the whole book, we get uh, info drops on excitotoxins. And it's like, the FDA argued that a man would have to consume an enormous amount of excitotoxins to cause serious ill effects. Um, initially, we see Chuck and his friends, and you know they're they're eating the beef and they're loving it, and they have a friend who's a a vegetarian. He's like, I I, I can't abide that 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 shit's evil, um, and they're calling him a pussy because mm-hmm. he won't eat the meat. But they're they're eating their lunch on the land next to. The, the packing plant because Chuck's father has been pulling double shifts um, and in bikes the grandsons of the man who owns the meat packing plant and they're just idiots these two kids are, <laughs> they're, they're just idiots they call yeah. them pussies um, you know I can smell your mother's something on my breath they call them faggots <laughs> and he's got a kiss army shirt on Okay. Yep. Um, yep. But uh, they the the two grandsons beat the crap out of him, and that's when Grandpa comes in. He goes, "Your daddy is uh, should slap the shit out of you. You 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 brought this fight on yourself with that you know pussy face of yours." And the, the whole family are just scumbags, right? Yeah. And in the meantime, there's flashbacks of Chuck in the in the packing plant using the hydraulic gun to pummel the bolt through the, the brains of the cows. And then they show the cow being the, the, the jugular, the cows being cut. And it's, it's a very in your face, um, depiction of what goes on in a meatpacking plant. Uh, flash forward to the present. Chuck is all grown up and he meets 
the two grandsons again and their racist, uh, womanizing, uh, obnoxious scumbags fueled by money, the worst kind, right? So they're in a diner and, and Chuck has the hots for, um, uh, is, she, is she Mexican, Latin American? I, I don't Latina. know. Latina. And, and uh, they, they're they throwing racist slurs at them. And the, the two grandsons want to see if her breasts are real. So they stab a cow. And the cow freaks out and, and trudges across the strawberry field towards the woman. Meanwhile, they, they get in their little... Uh, the stupid sports car with a spoiler, which I've never understood the reason f- to have a spoiler on a car. <laughs> doesn't fly. Um, and, and they take a shotgun and blow the brains out of the, the, the cow. And very, very graphic. I mean, there's nothing left to the imagination. The, 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 yeah. there's, there's blood spewing out of the cow's mouth, its nostrils, its ears, its eyeballs fly out of its head. And, and the, the, um, the woman... Mary Lynn is is covered in viscera and and Chuck is like trying to to make her feel better and she blames him in a in a sense. Um but the end was very surprising cuz it went in a direction I did not expect at all. Because Chuck gets pissed off at the two grandsons and because of all the exotoxins he's ingested over the years from eating the beef made at this packing plant. He hulks out mm-hmm. <laughs> into a character that looks like a big mass of beef. He's, mm-hmm. he's red. He has the cartilage around his eyes and 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 mm-hmm. sort his muscles and stuff. But that's where the issue lets off. And we get some awesome process pages in the back on how they did the cover. There's a like a can of of corned <laughs> beef spam that they photoshopped. Uh, the beef onto the label it's just neat if if i mean this is everyday occurrence for me but if you don't know how photoshop works or how things are done i think this will be very insightful to you i i don't know if i would have enjoyed this issue as much had it not been illustrated by shaky kane right i think he's the perfect complement to the narrative there's something very otherworldly about shaky's art um, his people don't exist in our world. It, what I'm trying to say is this is shaky is perfect for the medium of comics. Um, he draws in a very ratty pseudo Kirby esque style anatomy. Who cares? Doesn't matter. I'm going to draw these characters the way I see fit. Like uh, he's not bound by rules or by structure. It's just shaky cane just goes. It's like he's like a rabid dog. You unleash him, and mm-hmm. he's going to go wherever he wants to go. And I love a strong, it. a strong line though, like a strong, a strong solid line with his with his inks. Oh yeah, yeah, but it's not an ele- it's not an elegant line. It's a no. ve- it's a very it's a brutal. It's like, it's almost like the lines were carved instead of instead of just laid down. Like he doesn't. Yeah. He there's mm-hmm. no f- there's no finesse uh, intentionally so. Mm-hmm. So I I I love this issue. I thought it was phenomenal, um, but unexpected. Like I didn't. It's on the cover, but I didn't know that that was going to be part of it. Like that just seems to me to be some kind of shaky 
making a man out of beef. And, you know, ha-ha, nudge-nudge. But it's actually part of the story. Beef man. He's, he's got the, the hat on, too. It's so silly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it should be noted that, uh, that Richard Starkings is a adamant and devout uh, vegan. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly a little bit of political undercurrent about meat as murder in here, but uh, I gotta tip my cap to him if if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna get all uh, preachy on us, putting shaky cane in an absurdist over the top rage comic yeah, at me. Yeah. I'm 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 willing to talk about a spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. I'm I'm with it. Right. I don't think you would ever convince me to go vegan. I I need meat. I've I've tried to exist on greens. I just, I can't do it. I, I need, I need. <laughs> Samesies. Yeah. But, but Dap, tell us why you enjoyed it so much. Because you were the one to bring it up last week. Uh, because of Kane. Um, mm-hmm. It was, it's, you know, I didn't know what to expect when, when I read it. Um, or before I read it, I, I didn't, uh, I don't know how much. Uh, the solicits gave away, but you know, the there seems to be a theme tonight, aside from mummies, of, of flashbacks and 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 stories being told at, at, at through different times. And this was this did it. Um, there was an advantage here, and and you know, it, it wouldn't. It's it's probably. It's weird. It might be easier to, to say what wouldn't have worked for this. Like like Vince said, if, if another artist drew this, it probably wouldn't be as, I'll say, entertaining. Uh, if it was told straightforward from the past to the present, it probably would have missed something. It's not necessarily a hook, but the putting things in, in perspective and and the type of person Chuck is and, and these two asshole grandkids and, and it, it's, it works with the flashbacks and, and the juxtaposing of, of, of the present day. Uh, the art is, is by far the, the selling point for me. I, you know, yeah, it, it, like it says on the cover, it's vegetarian approved. If, if you are like Richard Starkings, then you probably will enjoy the story as far as the, meet his murder aspect of it uh if you're a fan of really cool art uh i think you'll dig it i the colors are just it's they are extremely flat and and again that's something i think that works to its advantage uh as far as this story goes but it's love flat color you do it is a wordy son of a bitch there there is a ton of text on uh on just about every page but it again it it just um it serves a purpose and and it, and it moves the story along uh i am really curious to see where we go with the second issue um i i probably brought it up just because it was so probably unexpected for me it, yeah it's, i we i mean bulletproof coffin we've read we've enjoyed we know what kane can bring to a book uh, and I mean, this is not like Nathan Men at all. So it, it's it's just I'm not gonna say it caught me off guard, but it it just it was somewhat unexpected for me, and and I 
I did enjoy it. And again, because I I do eat burgers, I do eat steak. So yeah, I mean, it's not like they were running around whacking the heads off of dogs and mm-hmm. cats and and shoving you know rabbits down sewers. It was it, it, it was all, and it wasn't it wasn't so much that you know, hey, look what we're going to try to get away with. I mean, the dude works at a meatpacking plant. Where else are you going to? What else are you going to see but that? So it's it's no, I I don't. I, I appreciate Vince for you know looking out for me in that regard, but it, in in this case, it it's one of those things that serves the purpose of of the story. So it's not something that's going to. Uh, I'm not going to fling the book across the room because of it. Nice, and the the grandkids <laughs> are so freaking vain. The, oh, their names oh, are yeah, yeah. their names are Christos <laughs> and Galen, and he's like, no, but <laughs> they don't go by that. They go no. by G Row and K Bob. <laughs> Like oh and my word. god, and the kid's got and his hat on backwards. When when they're older, um, they still have the the names. Yes, but they, they they when they were talking about whether or not her breasts are real and how to find out, you know, if they are, uh, I that that to me and and Jason can can vouch for this. That sounded like our boys. Cliff and Justin. It just it seemed like a, a conversation that that I would have heard them say or that they would have posted in one of our. Uh, chat messages but it, it's a um they are they are absolutely uh the worst and and it's you're not really sure like you kind of feel bad for chuck because of what he's he's been through and but at the same time it's like you know how you you also kind of been you, you've been bullied by these kids and and there's baggage he's bringing of course so it's yeah there's there's a lot to kind of absorb in, in yeah. this first issue. So, yeah, I, I got to see where it's going. There's two moments in the issue that, that really made it a winner for me, where mm-hmm. they're, they're talking about um, Mary Lynn, and it's like the narrative goes, both her parents wanted her to get a taste of California, education, opportunity, a career. Now she picks strawberries genetically modified with genes from a cold water fish to create a cold resistant plant. The sweet taste of America calling her. And then the very next panel, mad cow. It's after the, mm-hmm. the kids stab the, well, the guys stab the cow. But the back cover, I think, is a masterpiece where Marilyn's in a, a yes. American flag bikini and she's got a, a beef. Yeah, it's right out of Carl's Jr. Package between her legs, and she's eating a hamburger, and the secret sauce is is dripping, and there's one little drop of secret sauce on her breasts. Like that, I I don't normally associate subtlety with shaky cane, but that is pretty (laughs) subtle. This is a great issue. Loved it. Suitable for vegetarians, too. Says on right on the cover. Tainted love. Also, should be pointed out that Richard is not only a devout vegan; he's not only a devout vegan, but he's also a uh, an, a Brit as well. So, yeah, it's probably some of that <laughs> anti-America in there too. That's all right. It's easy That's to right. do. We got some of that with Larson and Savage Dragon too. So, it's a third True, but he's not a Brit though. But no, he's not. No, which <laughs> even makes it more yes. uh, impactful. You right. You right. So, why don't you tell us about this last thing? This last thing. Why you sound so what, excited? Right? No, what do you want me to do? I saved the last one because I knew it, this would draw you back in. Okay. All right. I, I looked at your images that you sent, and I'm guessing the one you're going to talk about 
is the one that you think I'm going to vibe on is this one with this Cthulhu-esque kind of correct creature thing. Correct. What's it called? It is called Nyork, which is N-I-O-U-R-K. Uh, it is uh, by Dark Horse, but it's a uh, English adaptation of a graphic novel that was produced in France uh, by Olivier Vatine, V-A-T-I-N-E, uh, in 2012, so five years ago. And this was Vatine's um, graphic depiction of a novel of the same name from 1957. It was a science fiction novel by French writer Stéphane Wool, uh, and uh, Vatine turned it into a bande dessinée in 12, and now we get the English translation here in all of its glory. Um, interesting note about this book, it is a uh, oversized hardcover. It's 9 by 12, which I love. And when it was originally solicited, it was going to be 7 by 9. So the more of a digest-sized book. And enough people that were familiar with the original work uh, lobbied for Dark Horse to uh, publish it in its original dimensions because they didn't want to see the art uh, reduced in that way. And so they reconsidered and they put it out in its uh, original form, which I think is a, a huge, huge win for the book. So the cover of the OGN, you see in the foreground, um, a, uh, a young boy, probably about 10, 11, maybe, um, with some kind of rifle strapped to his back. You see him from the, from the back. He's looking, he's looking away from you and he's looking up at the statue of Liberty and it's a uh, statue of Liberty covered in, in moss and overgrowth, so kind of reminiscent of Planet of the Apes, uh, only in the uh, at the top of of the of, of of Lady Liberty's arm is a giant satellite dish, um, also aging and decrepit. But so you, you get a sense that it's taking place in a future version of Earth, but but maybe not exactly our our version of Earth. Um, and then the book starts where we are in a. a to your point, Vince, you mentioned I sent you an image which will be in the uh, in the previews. There's, they do look like Cthulhu creatures, but actually, what they are are, um, I think they're they're Vatine drew them more to look like uh, organic versions of the War of the Worlds mm-hmm. um, creatures. They are um, octo, they're octopi, octo, octopods that have been genetically modified uh, by humanity to help serve as essentially um, uh, workhorses. Uh, because in this world, it takes place right after Fukushima, the Fukushima disaster. And because of uh, nuclear waste and the like, um, they genetically engineer these octopi to help uh, who can exist in in the deep bowels of the sea. And so they've trained them to help take uh, toxic waste that they dump into the ocean and move the waste for us into uh, like deep trenches under the tectonic plates. So essentially they're supposed to go away. But of course it's a dumb idea because, you know, mother nature has a way of, of, of getting its revenge one way or another. And, and by, by years and years of dumping toxic waste into, uh, into the plates, it ends up that, uh, it totally changes the, the bio, you know, the bio sphere and, and in essence causes a, a fallout driven, you know, Armageddon in essence. And then this, this is, this, this all takes place right after our modern times, right after Fukushima, but that's just sort of the, the, the prelogue. And then we're brought to a far flung future, um, not dissimilar to, 
you know, commandy in a lot of ways. I think Vince, one of the things, if you do look at this book, uh, it's clear Vatine is a huge fan of commandy. Um, th- there are definitely some homages to it. No. Um, yeah, no, no, there really, oh. there are. Um, um, in fact, even at one point, so, so w- the main crux of the story is, is, a. um, they look like Neanderthals. I mean, they're, they're a tribe of, of hunter gatherers and, and there's, you get the sense that there isn't much of humanity left. And, uh, the, the Trevor, the, the, the tribe is, um, is run by an elder again, uh, not, not unfamiliar for, for that kind of thing. And the elder is going to make his pilgrimage to the, to the realm of the gods, which he does periodically to commune with the gods. And, uh, we're introduced to someone we only know as the dark child. And he is, uh, the, the boy we see on the cover. He's, a uh, He's uh, he looks like a like he's a well, he's a he's a, he's a dark skinned boy. He looks like a young black boy, um, and his tribe is is largely fair skinned. We have no idea why he looks the way he does or, or what it is, but but they view him. He's somewhat of a of a fringe member of the of the society because of his skin color, and he has to kind of live in the periphery and 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 live for scraps and kind of take where you know take food where he can. They are always trying to shun him, and basically because they think he's evil. Um, they, they distrust him because of his skin color. Um, but, uh, but the, the, the elder goes off to the, to the land of the gods and the dark child, um, he, he follows him and, uh, and the elder, he dies, he dies, he dies of old age, dies of, of a drinking binge and of old age. Um, and as per their custom in this, in this world, when you come across something that has died or you kill something, you are to break open its skull and eat its brain. And you then possess all of its memories and powers and you become whatever station in, in, in the, in the world that 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 had you then have. So the dark child comes across the elder and, uh, and sees that uh, the elder is, uh, is dead and he breaks open his, his head and eats his brains. And in his mind becomes the elder so he's like, oh, I'm, I'm good now. I can go back to the tribe. They'll accept me because I'm the elder now. Um, and, and you start to see, though, with Vatine as, as, we're, as we're going through this journey, that, that this is clearly Earth many hundreds of years from now because um, there's a frozen wasteland and it's very much an industrial uh, shipping yard. You can see in the background the, the old um, uh, cranes that they'd use to lift the cargo out of the boats. And you see an old shipping uh, boat kind of three quarters sunk into the, into the ice, but you can see it, it's the, the shell of it's over, uh, you know, on its side kind of sticking out and you get the sense that, uh, that this is just a world that's kind of been reborn after hundreds of years of, 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 of non-existence. So you kind of get it. You kind of think the book is going in one direction. Uh, and, and meanwhile, his tribe is struggling to find food because, um, you know, they've just basically picked it over. And so they have to go further and further out to find food. And, and there's the, uh, the, the, sort of the leader of the tribe, which is this, uh, this, this gigantic caveman like guy that's, uh, that's like the hero and the hunter gatherer. And he's, he's trying to, uh, find food and he has to go through his own quest where he's, he's, uh, beset by, uh, a giant, a giant alligator creature and, um, all sorts of things. And so you're kind of going along and you're getting a sense that it's going to be this boy's journey to find a position in his tribe and find meaning. But, uh, but then it just totally throws everything for a loop because, um, then out of nowhere, the boy comes across um, uh, inside of a mall. He comes across an old mall. He comes across a, a, a weapon, which is basically it looks like a rifle, but it's 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 remembers the future. So this was a, a like it's a laser cannon. And so the boy is suddenly 
like incredibly powerful because he can he can pretty much take out anything. And he's convinced that this is another gift from the gods. So now he's not only the elder, but the gods have smiled upon him. And he's making his way back, and he's trying to make his way back to his tribe. But when he gets back to his tribe, it's been like Conan. Like, it's it's been destroyed. It's been burnt down to crisp, and and uh, they've moved on. So he's basically trying to follow his tribe, and, and his tribe is being led by this other guy. And, and, and again, they're, they're trying to find a new home, find new new a new safe place to be. And they've decided they have to basically go to where they consider the land of monsters, uh, which is the shoreline. And they call it the land of monsters because... As you might imagine, these uh, these oct- these octopus-like creatures um, reside in that area, and you know they have no idea about the history of these creatures. These creatures are just sort of mystical to them, and and uh, they kind of encounter one another, and and uh, the dark child catches up to them, and he saves the day with his cannon. He shoots this octopus creature that they think is attacking them, and as he has done with everything else that he's come across, he goes to eat the creature by by breaking its its head open. But in this time, instead of doing that, the, a tentacle shoots out of the of the brain cap- cavity and and attaches to the dark child's brain, and he sees he's flooded with memories of 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 their creation and of the toxic waste, and all these things, and, and 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 so he's sort of like transformed, and and that he's gained this awareness about the history of the world and his and his own people that he could never have encapsulated before. Uh, and, and, but because they're, are, they are, they, they, they still slice this thing up and eat it like, like good calamari. But, uh, but the thing is, is the thing is, is crazily radioactive because I mean, it's, it's, it's for generations. These things were, were handling nuclear waste. And so all of a sudden, all of his tribes mates are like, oh, my, my belly's glowing or look at your belly. It's glowing. And, and, and they're imbued with, with extra strength and they think it's wonderful because their bellies are glowing. And it's, but, but we all know that like their bellies are going, cause it's fucking like nuclear waste. So sure enough, it starts like killing them all off. And, uh, and only a few of them managed to survive the, the decision to eat the stuff. Um, and, and the boy is then confronted with this guy that looks like doc Savage. All of a sudden out of nowhere, we were sitting this trap, like this, this fantastic, uh, spaceship comes flying through the air and out comes this statuesque shaved bald, like gold cladded, super scientist guy who's who's speaking to the boy and telling him like, Oh, I I can't help you right now. I'm on a a mission, but you know, you should head to New York because that's where you guys will find all the game and pray you need to survive. And, and uh, hence the name of this book. Like it's a, it's a play on what he thinks the guy says is New York. He thinks he's saying New York, right? So they, they try and make their way to New York. And, and so they, they come across New York and you meet this, there's a crashed ship. And we find out that most of humanity has spent centuries living on Mars but this crew went back from Mars to Earth to get some supplies. They crashed. And, and it just it takes these crazy turns. And eventually the boy it meets these people and he's, he, he, he essentially transforms into Alpha, like the ultimate, the ultimate human being. And he's imbued with essentially superpowers. Uh, he can duplicate himself. He can change his size. And, uh, and he's faced with the dilemma of whether or not to go to Mars with these three scientists and, and show Mars the proof of him and that humanity still exists on Earth, or if he should stay with his people and help try and re- reinvigorate his tribe that's been decimated. And uh, I won't get into the decision he makes, but it's absolutely mind-blowing uh, and trippy. And so this book covers everything from, like, Neanderthal, primitive hunter-gatherers into what humanity could eventually become if we ever reached our peak, all in one volume. And the visuals are just absurd, 
it's just incredible, incredible, gigantic, you know, one and two page splash pages. Um, and you, you, the characters, you come to really love them. I mean, you, you love the, you love alpha and relative to the, um, the command, you think Vince at one point when he's meandering through the, uh, meandering through the mall, he, uh, he comes across a comic book shop and in the comic book shop is a, a on the cover is alpha the last boy and it's instead of it looking like commandy it's 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 a it's a young black black kid you know so it looks like the dark so he's like he's totally enamored and it's got on his left is like instead of talkie tawny it's like a an anthropomorphic bear and you know so it's it's clearly homage to to commandy but what's cool is by this time the boy had already befriended because he saved the life of a giant bear like not an anthropomorphic one, but a bear that he's like riding along with as his sidekick. So there's like a not so subtle homage to the fact that like that that Vatine helped build the visual language of this book with his love for Kirby and for uh, you know for for Commandy in particular. Um, and there are, there are definitely other influences too. I mean, clearly there's there's definitely a I guess with most storytellers in French, he's definitely got some Mobius in him in terms of the spaceship design and the the stuff that's set in Mars and, and some of that stuff. But, but it's, it's just a visual tour de force and it's just mind blowing because in a, you know, 150, 200 pages, you know, you go through this, this, this almost the entire history of humanity, uh, all under the narrative of this, this young boy, uh, alpha. So it's uh, it's trippy, you know, anyone that's read any kind of, uh, French comics, even some of the stuff like we've talked about. I mean, this is this is a little bit meta barons, you know, like it doesn't all make a ton of sense. Like why suddenly the boy has all these powers and all, it doesn't they don't really pay that off. They don't really give you like a, a hot new entry for it. Like you kind of just have to go with it. Uh, it's, it's pure science fiction. You know, it's kind of just a journey that they're taking you on here. Um, but man, oh, man, is it breathtaking visually. And uh, it's it's absolutely bonkers and and totally up your alley. Totally up your alley, man. It does like, sound like it is. It's yeah. totally up your alley. So, um, so I can't recommend this one uh, more than. I mean, this is of the three. Um, the other two have a very specific audience. This is the kind of thing that we all love in the sense that there's no way this could exist in anything other than comic book form. No one would have the budget of the special effects to do what this book does, um, even today, you just wouldn't have the budget. If, you, if if they tried to make this into a movie, it'd probably be four different films. They do it in like four parts. Um, so yeah, so Nyork, N-I-O-U-R-K by Dark Horse Originals. It's a twenty nine ninety nine cover price. Uh, I think I paid fifteen bucks on DCB service. That's right. But, uh, yeah, it's badass. It's really badass. This is the one of of the three y'all do need to find your time to read at some point, even if it's me bringing it to. The next time we see each other, and you can read my copy of it. Well, I'm on it. Now I'll buy my own. That's fine. Nice. And it's odd because I had a um, a discussion with my students just this week about leading with your heart, not with your head. Mm-hmm. I have this one kid. We watched um, Song of the Sea. Have you ever seen that? The animation Song of the Sea? Hmm. I don't think so. It's about the silky, and the, it, it, there's a lot of heart. In in the film, and after it was over, we talk about it. And I have this mm-hmm. this one guy who it's you you know the type that just looks for plot holes, and mm-hmm. and this didn't make sense because of this and blah blah blah. And I said, if if you take one thing away from this entire experience, when you're when you're 
in the middle of art, whether it be a painting or, or, or comics or an animation or anything, lead with your heart, not with your head. Mm-hmm. And you'll be better off for it. I said, does it matter? That that thing you discussed about the plot hole, does that really matter? It doesn't have any bearing on the story other than a tiny part of the film didn't make sense to you because of that. Mm-hmm. Why do you dwell on that? Why? If, if if it ruins it for you because this thing was not logically described, then I think, from my experience and from my approach to art, I think you're 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 in this world for the wrong reasons. So what if it doesn't make sense? Like you just said about the the character getting superpowers and it's not really fully fleshed out. So what? He does. He gets them. That's all you need to know. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. sense of wonder. Suspend some of the logic and the disbelief and and the the uh, the the need to to hop from stone A to get to stone B. It doesn't really matter in terms of the big picture. This was a film we were talking about that has tremendous amounts of heart, and the message is unencumbered by any of the things he was talking about. The message mm-hmm. remained the same. Whether or not that part made sense to him, yeah. the, the message was still delivered. That's what you need to take away. You follow your heart, not, not, not your head. There are some things that cannot be translated mm-hmm. into information your brain is going to understand, yeah. like words. You know, like I think it, uh, in the movies, the Miyazaki films are definitely a great oh, example. Oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you're right. There are some things that are just plain bizarre, but you feel like I, um, I, I, own, I, you know, I bought that box set. It came out a year or two ago, and uh, I, I, I put up on, I put the Princess Mononoke on for the family, uh-huh. and I love that film. It's, it's but I already seen almost it. perfect. Yeah, yeah, and and like none of the family really got it. Because they were all like, it's so weird. I don't know what's happening. Like, why did this happen? And I was like, that's, it's just the journey. Like, it's the visual yeah. spectacle. It's the, you're supposed to just in, let it consume you and come away with the feeling of the movie. Like, right. it's like, it, but they were all like, does not compute. And I'm like, ah, it's, I mean, look, I can't listen. Everyone compute, consumes the way they consume, but it, but it was a bummer because I wanted them to fall in love with it so we could watch all the rest of the movies. And, and some of the, 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 the concepts in Mononoke was obviously they, they originate in a culture whose very language can't be accurately transferred to English. Sure, sure. So there's a lot of things in there that, you know, a Japanese person could explain them to you, but they're still not words that can be successfully translated into English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that just shows you that they're working, even though their their language is so incredibly complex, yeah. they they still cling to the to things that, are felt rather than explained. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dap is being so quiet. That's Dap, he's on say. Amazon ordering this book. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm flipping between DCBS and InStock Traces. He was cheaper. Oh, nice. Wouldn't they be the same? No, uh, it's a little cheaper on uh, stock trades, but then you have to uh, finagle the free shipping. So oh, I might sure. just add it to my much order. Yes, sir. I did not do my. I'm previews. not going to steer you wrong. This you got. I'm not going to steer you wrong. I don't no, want you guys. I know you. Three, you tune all three of the other two, but this is one you'd enjoy a lot. I'm. I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm looking at the art, and it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Plus, it's that 
decades spanning story like i love things like that that yeah and like that's the thing it's like like what you were saying like with the i sent a picture of the i mean these octopods like again as i'm describing it people are like that makes no fucking sense but that's not the point like the point is in this world because we're so fucked up environmentally scientists bioengineered creatures that could help us get rid of toxic waste and those creatures over hundreds of years developed their own society and basically overtook the earth like that's all you need to know like it's and it's all there like you don't need to fucking like we don't need to under we don't need to all study the DNA to see if they splice the right animals together to make this work. Like it just they're there. They look badass. Like as I described, they look very much like organic versions of the creatures from War of the Worlds, and uh, they're fuck great. That's awesome. I'm yeah, in. I'm in. Oh, I have a little bit of wiggle room in this month's order. Nice. Yeah, I, I've been. I I don't know if I will. I haven't. Uh put it to to paper yet or add anything to my cart so well, well the see. patrons know what dap and i are most excited about this yeah movie. i didn't do mine yet i will no, i know you'll do it and i was thinking um about that i thought maybe because we used to do this back when we had the forums since we don't inherently talk about a lot of things on the previews videos that we order because they're kind of givens or they're mm-hmm. in the middle of arcs or i'm gonna start posting on the patreon my dcbs order each month so they can see everything so we can like, again we, we don't show for things days like, well no i mean <laughs> nah, i don't order as much as i used to because we we get a lot of comps and we do the digi like we read the yeah. i have marvel unlimited and you know I, I like i don't i don't buy physical copy i buy much less physical stuff other than the collected editions than i ever used to but yeah. still though i mean there's still a bunch more that right, like, talk. Like, like tom's batman isn't on my dcbs order but i read it every two weeks because of comiXology. So they're, yeah, they're absolutely. So yeah, I'm, I definitely get where Jace is coming from. And Vince is funny with the whole scrolling for days, but yeah, no, even it, it, that would be our, our DCBS order, what we're actually getting, or I mean, it would, we could even do the unboxing for that sense, but it would, um, yeah, you love unboxing. Man. I will not uh, do an unboxing. Video. <laughs> I'm sorry. I won't. <laughs> I love you both, uh, but I just I'm not having it. I, I don't think. Hey I man, either, too cool but... for school. It's all good. No, right? that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> it just they're 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 so trite. Oh my! God. Take, they take the packages out and they got their little pinkies hanging out. Like, oh, here's the box that comes in. Isn't it beautiful? And let's go inside. <laughs> just so you know, our, a lot of our a lot of our friends love that stuff. Well, that's I, I'm more power to them. I do not. I do not. It's okay. We, can, we don't have to. Love everything. That's right. That's yeah. I'm going to seem like the old curmudgeon this episode. You are. I know. This episode. I know. Uh Lately, it's been on a roll. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, everybody. Hey, as usual, this episode has been brought to you by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, the very best in getting you your books at low, low prices. For example, from Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man number 800. You will see this on my list of things procured from DCBS this month um, for a lousy $4.99. DC Nation, you will see this on my list for $0.12. And Red Sonja Tarzan, you will also see this on my list for $1.99. In your travels. So you're ordering two Gail Simone books this month. Yep. No, I'm not. I'm not nice. getting Domino. It's not happening, dude. It's, it's wild, not. Dude. <laughs> I'll, my goddamn I'll get the trade. Okay. What? Are you kidding me? I, I can't wait till the next. 
like Doc Savage book or this, you know, this, the spirit or something comes out and I'm like, dude, why is that not on your list? You're hurting my heart. And you'd be like, fuck that shit. I'm not getting it. Well, those are public domain characters. They're going to, they're going to be around forever. This is Domino's one chance of, to vault into prominence. And congratulations on your recent acquisition, <laughs> by the way. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Arguably the most beautiful book in my DCBS box this month. Arguably. I don't want to play favorites, but this one is really close to the top, if not at the top. The first issue was written by Ivan Brandon, illustrated by Asad Ribic, with uh, color art by Nick Klein. It is called Verses. I'm stunned. I, I I finished it a couple of days ago. Read it again. Read it a third time. The wow. new the the nuances in this book, um, the 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 figure drawing, the pacing, the sequentials, the spaceships and 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 assorted weaponry involved in the battles. Ribic is just he's oh he's so good. Uh, again, uh, to articulate how this work makes me feel is tough. Um, it, uh, on the surface, it's it's a, a, a broadcasted battle between two opposing forces. It, it's it's kind of like a uh, an American gladiators type thing set in space, where you have one group um, battling another group, and and it's 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 televised, and there are rules. Um, but it's more a commentary on uh, commercialism and and advertising, and mm-hmm. uh, the the battle is 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 stopped in the 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 middle of the battle is just things come to a screeching halt because one of the uh, things that are broadcasting the battle needs to take a break, or a commercial comes on, um, and it, it seems like even real life. Is interrupted by commercials like the 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 main character is uh, a, an alien, a blue skinned alien called Sata Flynn, um, and at one point he's uh, hospitalized and in his 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 legs are rebuilt, and as he's leaving the hospital, everything about his leaving the hospital is televised. I'm saying televised because we're not really sure how this thing is broadcasted, whether it's like mm-hmm. a, um, an internet type thing or a, a, a television or whatever. They're, they're getting this, this footage to the masses. And his car ride home is, is broadcasted. And he pops open a, a drink and it shows him drinking. And, and that's actually a commercial. It says commercial message. Like there's, there are pop-up infographics in this comic. It's it's amazing. Just the the visuals alone will will knock you on your ass. The 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 deep commentary on the way things are are turning in this world in which we live, mm-hmm. um, like m- money and commercialism and and uh, advertising are are where it's at. And and this just shows you just how egregious it can become. Like there's pharmaceutical ads when he's in the hospital. And oh, it, it's geez. it's crazy, but I I love Ivan Brandon's work, but so far, 
the 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 hook here for me is Ribic. This is jaw droppingly good. Dude is a boost. Right, Dap. As far as Ribic? Yeah, is yes, he, he is, he's, he he can't spell, but he is a fantastic <laughs> artist. Uh, the the um, it's it's a beautiful looking book. I mean, you got freaking gladiator warriors, and it's like there's just it's or I'm sorry, Roman. Um, it you did way better. I mean, I wasn't trying to give too much away, and and I I, I particularly like. The um, a little info thumbs that you get throughout the uh, yeah throughout the issue the characters there there wasn't there was I mean I didn't read it three times but you you get the sense of who at least the important well, the, the one important character was in the first issue but um, it was it was a solid setup issue as far as plopping you in this world and giving you a sense of, of what it's all about and what you can expect. Uh, there wasn't a lot in terms of the character development, which uh, depending on how the fights go, you may not want to get attached to anybody, but um, that's really not the focus, at least not yet. So I, I have generally, I kind of want to get to know, who it is I'm supposed to be reading about or caring about issue to issue, but that's um, as far as setting up this world and, and as so visually pleasing it is, uh, I can overlook um, anything that would generally be a um, detriment. And, and there really isn't anything that I would consider that in, um, in this first issue. I think Flynn is a very simple character. At least I'm assuming he is based on this first issue. He's married to the battle. He, yes. He, he's all about the conflict. Um, and it's like a, a, uh, he's, he's got the tactician in him, like, like uh, Steve Rogers, where he, he gets to, this is the part that, that really made me think that this is a book this cut is cut from a different cloth. They they have the jump on their 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 foes, and he's just about to decimate the the last guy. And there's a, a video error, like this floating camera thing, that, like much like the ones you see on the football field, those those drone camera things. And he's just about to destroy this last person, and it says three minute war delay. And this one character, her name is Mama Martinez. She's like, what? And the camera comes down and says, we will return to the conflict shortly. And she she focuses, she aims her gun at the, the drone. And the drone's like, okay, technical foul, you're done. Two weeks out of the game. And it, it's like, it's it's a, a combat arena. But the the main point of it is that it's also entertainment. Like, these are people that are dying. But it's a source of entertainment for the masses, mm-hmm. and it's just, and, and he gets in the hospital, and he's, he's very rude to the doctor. He's like, "Fuck you! Just tell me when I'm getting out of here. I don't give a shit mm. about anything you're saying. Just get me back on that battlefield." Like that's all he wants to do is the game. Um, it's it's a, 
a very jaw-dropping, it's a visceral um, take on, on, on commercialism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll it'll make you a little uncomfortable, but I think that's the point. Yeah, it's it's, it's sitting here on my list. I gotta. I should wish I should have gotten on it before you guys. Yeah, talked about it. But highest no, highest re- possible recommendation. All right. Yep. Big doings. Uh, I won't go into. I'm I'm um I'm playing catch up on a couple of things, and one of those things. Um, Includes Bloodshot Salvation. So I am going to read the past couple of issues that I have been slacking on. Uh, So I'll have have the first seven to discuss um, when we get together later this week. But uh, in your travels, read yourself some Bloodshot Salvation so you know what we'll be talking about. Nice. I love foreshadowing. Love it. Uh, nice. In your travels, I wanted to call attention to something that um, we I was approached by uh, Steve Thompson, who is a um, listener of the show, and he alerted me to a project that he is involved with that uh, I definitely thought uh, deserved uh, the attention of, of, of our our crew, our community. Um so, so he and some other creators in the UK did an anthology called 24 Stories. And uh, that was to, all proceeds went to um, support uh, the survivors of the uh, Grenfell Tower, which uh, in 2017, in June, there was a fire that uh, burned down a 24-story high-rise in West London. And it killed 71 people uh, and injured tons more. Uh, and it caused a, a massive PTSD uh, in the town. And so this, uh, they created this anthology to help raise awareness on PTSD and help the Gren- Grenfell Tower survivors. And it was really well received. Uh, and, and that led to other creators uh, expressing interest to Steve and his team about getting involved in some way. Because PTSD is something I think we're still all really coming to terms with as a, as a concept um, in particular and, and personally particular interest for me in terms of understanding the kind of uh, baggage that our, our soldiers have had to come back and deal with and, and are really pretty much consistent misunderstanding of, of, of the, of the long-term trauma that uh, going through some of the stuff that they have to go through, um, you know, ends up uh, uh changing their lives. So, so in any event, he reached out and he kind of sent me some information. I looked it over and I really did think it was worth calling attention to. So it is, uh, it's called the 24 panels project. It's a follow up to the 24 stories. And in essence, what they wanted to do is open up this idea beyond the, uh, the original anthology, which is very focused, 12 creators doing stories. Um, and fast forward to now it's, they now have a new EIC, someone that, uh, folks may have heard of. His name is Kieran Gillen. So Kieran heard about this and he decided he wanted to really help build it up. So he is the EIC of 24 panels and they've got a, a litany and I won't go through. They've got a litany of, of, of awesome and amazing creators that are already committed to the project, but probably of most note, especially in today's day and age, um, Alan Moore and Melinda Getty. Uh, Alan's going to write and Melinda is going to draw uh, a story for the anthology. 
And Steve reached out because he listens to the show and he wanted us to call attention. But the other cool thing about this, Vince, is that he wants to also solicit contributions Ooh. for the project. So um, if you go to 24 Panels blog, so the number is 24, 24 Panels, plural blog, dot wordpress.com, or just Google 24 Panels. But, um, but if you go there, it will have all the information. But in essence, you could submit your work. Uh, comic story has to be anywhere from one to 24 panels covering no more than five pages of a comic book. Uh, and even gives you like the dimensions and the bleeding. You have to allow for three millimeter bleed, so forth, so on. Um, any number of, cr- of cr- creator stories can be black and white or color, uh, but they have to be about the themes of hope, unity, positivity, or community. Um, no depictions of gra- extreme violence or whatnot, because this is about dealing with PTSD. Uh, and then there's information as to how to uh, submit your story, who to submit it to. All submissions have to be in by June 30th, 2018. Uh, the final thing will be, again, printed in some way. He said they may crowdfund it, but uh, because of Kieran and, and Alan and Melinda's involvement, they're they're getting approached to perhaps just straight up publish it with one of the major publishers. That's to be determined. But uh, it sounds like an amazing project for an amazing cause. Uh, and look, who knows, even maybe you can end up, one of you, some of you can submit something and be in a book with alongside Alan Moore. How trippy would that be? So, uh, one more time, it's 24 Panels Project. It's 24panelsblog.wordpress.com. So, check it out. Cool. It does sound good. Yes, sir. Nice. You demand. All right, everybody. Hey, thank you once again for being here with us. We appreciate it. And we implore you to check out uh, our Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash one one o'clock, no apostrophe comics. Uh, yeah, we're there. We're on the Facebooks. Come join us, the Twitters, all that stuff. In the meantime, say no to the salty co-host and be <laughs> here next week because good night. David. Oh, good night. Um, David, no, no humming. There was nothing. I was doing a little bit. You probably couldn't hear me, but it was there. I, I like definitely I was couldn't hear you. Yeah. Yeah, no, it hear was meek. It was. It was a very, very low, low. Key. Oh. Mm. Not, it was just me. It wasn't Cork. It, was, it wasn't Cork. No. Just oh, okay. silly. All right, everybody. Love you so much. Back uh, in a couple days. It's good hearing from you guys today. Appreciate that. Good mm-hmm. looking out. Glad we could all be here. True that. Peace. Miss. Click.